and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast out there with a nine-month off-season. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. And I'm Jay Fisher. Does that mean we just this podcast is like a fully formed child then? <laughs> it, it kind of is, yeah, in a way. This, this is our, our new baby. This is uh, our first podcast here without Paul, so it's going to be kind of weird. Although, we do have the winner of our uh, Survivor Historian's Apprentice Contest. Uh, you excited to announce our, our third person here, Jay? I am excited, but, you know, it, it, it's an interesting thing about this baby, because you ever, you ever, like, seen someone's baby and, like, it's a really ugly child, and, and you try to come up with weird adjectives to describe it, because you can't just be like, oh, what a cute child, because, you know, that, that would be wrong if the baby is totally ugly. So you, like, come up with other adjectives. You see, like, oh, what a, what a unique face. I think Seinfeld already beat us to the storyline, Jay, with their breathtaking. Oh, God, yes. Breathtaking. (laughs) So, yeah, so we have our our breathtaking new third historian here. And this is kind of interesting because we have not announced who this is yet. No one really knows except the person who we we picked. So this is really the first uh, reveal. You all ready for this, Jay? Want to bring them in? Let's bring them in. (laughs) All right. Introducing our new third Historian slash temp slash replacement slash upgrade Paul. Here is. Mike Bloom. Welcome, Mike. Hello, 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 podcast community. (laughs) Don't Um, talk to them directly, Mike. Exactly. Yes, speak sir. to us. Speak to us, and then we will relay your message to the to the audience. Okay. Under, understood. Understood. Also, All don't right. speak to me directly. <laughs> yeah, if you could just log off, Mike, it would be great. <laughs> no, I'm we were, ghosting as we speak. <laughs> we are very excited to have Mike. Mike was absolutely my favorite person in the whole contest. He was absolutely Jay's favorite person in the whole contest, and we could not be more excited that he is joining us now as a uh, replacement slash uh, <laughs> upgrade of Paul. Well, Mike, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. I could be more excited. Like, you know, cosmically, I could be more excited. But I am very excited that you're on the show. Oh, thank you. I mean, there's always, there's always room for potential. So I'm glad you uh, keep, your, keep your hopes low. Well, low hopes is, I mean, shoot, I'm still watching Survivor, right? Low hopes <laughs> is, you know, completely what I'm all about. <laughs> Speaking of low hopes, all stars. All stars. <laughs> Excellent. Well done, Mike. <laughs> When Mike hits the joke right before I was going to hit the joke, I know we picked the right guy. <laughs> All right, yes, Survivor All Stars. The uh, we are here. Everyone is waiting to hear this. Which uh, this is one of those seasons that people tend to have strong opinions of. Uh, Jay and I, in particular, have strong opinions, but we don't like it. Um, Mike, I'm not entirely sure your stances on this. I'm pretty sure you don't like it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have picked you. No, I think he said he liked it. He oh, he well, liked I, it. I, I would say it's it's I definitely it's not one of my favorite seasons. It's definitely on the bottom, but I would not call it my least favorite season. I know at the time that you guys it was on for you guys being involved in the community, especially you, Mario, would hit hit closer to your heart. Uh, but being as objective as I was when it aired, looking back on it now, it's it's not my current least favorite season. But obviously, there are many many problems with it but as i think as we'll see in these first few episodes there are definitely some really cool things about it as well how old were you when this aired i'm curious i was 13 all right that'll make us feel nice and old jay well it makes us feel nice and old but what was paul at this thing paul was you know paul was a zygote yeah he he wasn't that old either so 
Let's... I was being conceived. <laughs> During All Stars. Oh my All-Stars. god, it was the scene where Boston Rob and Amber do it. Maybe he's their child. <laughs> Conspiracy. Wow. He's the only Montana Boston kid with a Montana accent. Oh my god. Well, they, had to, they had to leave the baby somewhere. <laughs> yes. This baby right. has got a ridiculously high voice. Let's leave him in Montana. <laughs> he's out building sandcastles. Yeah, build friggin' sand. Dude, I gotta say, like. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Mike, that this – I wouldn't put All-Stars as my least favorite season either. Mario might because Mario is just, you know, a weird stickler like that. Um, but it's definitely not in the top half, and I would say it's closer to the bottom of the bottom half. I mean, but, but uh, you know, going back and, and watching this again, I actually found, you know, because a lot of – when we talk on the Survivor Historians, a lot of it is just literally memory for me. I rewatch the seasons just to get like a couple little fun, weird specifics or to get a quote right or to get something along those lines. But I actually found, you know, we've done seven seasons up to now. And going back and rewatching, it's just kind of, you know, you're, you're sort of drinking in the love and whatnot. It was a really interesting thing to kind of w- watch this season again. I, I think it was the most interesting rewatch. I wouldn't say positive or negative. It was just a really, really interesting thing to go back and look at this season. I yeah, totally I agree. Yeah, I was going to say I, I agree with that, too. This is there's different emotions that come up for this. I mean, I have so much of my own personal history wrapped up in All Stars as, as we'll we'll talk about as we get into this. But, yeah, that's. It was just a different experience than watching the other seven seasons just because, I mean, it, it's, as I said before, I don't think All-Stars is the worst season. People always ask me, is it, your, is it the season you think is the worst? I'm like, I actually think it's a pretty decent season. There's a lot that goes on in it. It's kind of fun if you just watch it without any context of like the history of Survivor. So it's not a season that I think is bad. It's just the only way I can describe this is I feel about All-Stars the way that Michael Scott feels about Toby on The Office. I just hate it so much. It is the worst ever. I mean, it, did you? So when you when we got to the fact that we were getting to this and we were finally podcasting, did you go? No, no, God, no, no. You know, he yeah, did. Exactly. I mean, absolutely. And yeah, when when I saw that All Stars was walking in the room with a little gay bow tie, you should have seen my reaction. It's like, oh my god. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's appropriate that a lot of, especially at the end game of All Stars, a lot of. Michael's comments to Toby can be attributed to the end game of all stars. So that'd be a fun game. We can play throughout this. It would. This is great that Paul's not here because I would have to explain to him what the office is. (laughs) (laughs) I love the new guy. All right. (laughs) Before we get into all stars, let me just start with a quote. And this is the minute I knew we were doing a, uh, an all stars podcast. I knew this would be the quote I had to start the show with. So here it is. This is from Jeff Probst in 2005. Oh, I know what you're going to (laughs) do. Exact words from Jeff Probst. Let's keep this in mind here. He said, when he was talking about All-Stars, Jeff Probst said, I I would hope we never do All-Stars again because Survivor is a game about strangers living together. Once they have had that experience and have spent time together socially, it's a completely different game. It's stunt casting. And this applies to everything I feel about Survivor, which has happened in the last four or five years. And it's said right there by Jeff Probes. This is exactly what I thought about All-Stars at the time. I'm like, the dynamic was so weird in this season. People were voted out for things that had absolutely nothing to do with this game or this season. It drove me crazy at the time. It drove me crazy how players' legacies were changed for reasons they couldn't even control. And I just wanted to bring that quote up just to say that Probes has done a flip-flop on this and that he totally agreed with me 10 years ago that this was a horrible idea for a season and this is not Survivor. It cannot be Survivor if there aren't, aren't strangers playing. Well, 
Yes. <laughs> I, well think, said. I, I think that I think that that quote does need to be brought up, and I think that we do need to always keep that quote contextually in mind. Uh, the only thing I'm going to say, and I, know, I already know your counter for this, Mario, and so you know I, I, you're preaching to the choir ultimately. But you know, Prope says it's stunt casting. It is stunt casting. However, at some point, I feel like the people that make Survivor sort of lost faith in the audience. And, you, you know, not, not every show can be on top. I mean, you know, American Idol, when it started to come on the scene, just blew everything out of the water and was like the biggest hit ever. And everyone was like, oh, my God, American Idol. People forget that Survivor was that at one point. Like, it was at the highest of the highs. Almost everybody in America watched Survivor. I mean, it was just the top television show everywhere. anywhere. It has nowhere to go but down. And it's slowly going down. And we're on Survivor 8, Survivor All-Stars. It's a little bit of a ratings boost. But, I mean, it's going to start going down. And once we get four or five seasons ahead, we start getting into, like, past Guatemala and into Cook Islands. It's going to start to kind of nosedive. But it does, after a few seasons, sort of cap out. The Survivor viewing audience uh, to this day, 20 plus, plus, plus seasons in, is a very steady, nice audience. And, you know, you can attribute it to just the fact that the show is well produced, it's well made, and all that sort of stuff. But I think that a lot of this, you know, new rules, new flips, stunt casting has kind of leveled it out a bit. And I think that, you know, once they sort of gave up on it, that's, you know, all that stuff sort of gets thrown out the window. I would add on to that by saying that I think we need, you always need to go back to the fact that at this time, something like an all-star season had never been done before outside of, you know, something like Battle of the Network Stars. Nobody had really seen the idea of all your, all your favorite stars from previous seasons coming together to battle it out. And as much as Survivor kind of defined the reality competition genre, it defined this as well. So just, it's, it's so mind-boggling to think about nowadays with especially with all the returning players and all the other shows that have all-star seasons, that this was, this was the first one. This was the kingmaker, so to speak. And this was a big deal at the time. A lot of people, again, we try to do historical perspective on the show. Survivor, you know, really the biggest thing on TV for the first two seasons. And then it started to go down for a variety of reasons, not quality-wise, but just kind of its prestige in the world. <clears throat> 9-11, obviously, was kind of a, a factor. But by the time of Pearl Islands, it really was... The audience was nowhere near what it had once been. It was just kind of turning into any other show from, if you're not a diehard Survivor fan, I mean, to the rest of the world. And then All-Stars came around, and this was kind of a big deal at the time. I mean, it was on the cover of uh, TV Guide, I remember. They had different collector covers. They uh, they debuted it right after the Super Bowl, which hadn't been done since Australia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was a big spike, and the viewers went back up. And I remember... Even at my job, people that weren't Survivor fans were kind of talking about it. Oh, yeah, they're doing the Survivor All-Stars. It's, wow, Richard and Rudy and all those guys. Like, it was, Survivor kind of became a big deal again. So, that's the thing. As much as I hate All-Stars, it really did give the show kind of a spike of coolness and hipness again, at least for a couple episodes. So, I can't I can't say it's a, it was a horrible idea that it happened. It was really kind of cool at the time. And- and not just that it was it wasn't a, a horrible idea. It, it's it's the fact that you Mario have gained a lot of viewership from your, uh, you know, all star stories, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, as much as make fun of you for it, you had a, just an intense readership for it. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You're writing these all star stories because in the back of your mind, you'd like to see an all star season. I w- I totally wanted to see an all star season. If you had said to me, "Hey, would you like to see some of your favorite players come back and play Survivor?" The answer was. Oh my God! Yes, do it already. 
mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, like, everybody wanted this. And so this is not like, you know, it, it's not like we're some sort of, you know, hipster, gauche, against the wind sort of thing where we were like, no, an all-star season is going to be terrible and fail. I mean, everybody wanted it, and they gave it to us. And that was the whole thing about Survivor All-Stars. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know my history, a lot of newer reviewers and stuff, but, like, I... People know me as the guy that wrote the funny 115, but that was not what my reputation was for many years. I was the all-star guy. That was, that was what people knew me as for many years because I was writing these, again, they're called all-star stories, but they're really not. If you go and look at my archives, you'll kind of see them. I, I wrote them. They're in there. They're, they're, they were huge projects at the time. And to me, I never saw them as stories. What these were were predictions. For, th- for two and a half years, maybe a year and a half to two years, I would write these big, long, they're technically stories, but to me, this was me playing out every single survivor I knew that would be on an all-star season and just role-playing them in my head what an all-star season would look like. And these things were hugely popular to the point that one of my stories got over a million viewers, my second one, Alaska. I mean, that thing, there was as many people that were reading that as were reading Survivor Central. It was just huge at the time. It kind of took over my life. But So that's what people knew me as. I was the guy that wrote these all-star prediction stories, and people were just totally into them, like... I'd have survivors writing me left and right, wanting to be in these stories, wanting to me to put them in the all-star things. And this was, in a sense, my uh, attempt, since I, w- I had a huge readership at the time, this is my attempt to convince CBS and all the powers that be that you could really do an all-star season. It would be fantastic. So I had so much of my world and my reputation as a survivor writer wrapped up in all-stars happening someday and it just being amazing to the point that people have even said, you know, Mario, you might have had something to do with why they actually did one in the first place because you kind of started the ball rolling that fans were reading this stuff. And I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, it sounds like very self-important, but I mean, that's the thing. If you knew me in 2002, 2003, Mario was the all-star guy. So absolutely, there was a market for this stuff, and I was right there in the middle of it. Everything I wrote was just an attempt to get the producers to do an all-star season. Mike, did you know him as the all-star guy? I barely knew how to get onto the internet, so <laughs> I, I think All-Stars was actually the first season where I like found out what Survivor Sucks was, and I remember I think that was the first, and therefore by proxy, the first season I was not by uh, not by will. I was accidentally spoiled on it, so well, <laughs> it was a I nice was, way to get into I was actually just going to segue into that, because you, you said you discovered Survivor Sucks, and I guess another thing that we need to get out of the way, and I don't want to talk a whole ton about, but we talked about how, you know, uh, Survivor Amazon was pretty spoiled uh, and whatnot, and, you know, Wesley and company were out in Panama scouting out Pearl Islands, and, and All-Stars was definitely scouted out and ridiculously spoiled. So if you're into that, it was a field day for Survivor All-Stars. Yeah, in fact, just, and, most of them, and most of them were right. I will say, just as a, as a personal aside, I had a friend on Survivor Sucks named Colleen Lover. He was one of my best friends there. And he happened to be on vacation in Panama or something at the time. And one day he's walking on the beach and he just sees Rudy, Tina, and uh, Rob Sesternino riding horses or something. He's like, oh, I guess these were the first three boots. And it turned out to be an a- totally accurate spoiler. And he reported it back on the, on the website. Just, it was just a kind of a funny little coincidence that a friend of mine happened to be there and happened to spoil the show accidentally, the first three boots. Yeah, and there were some pretty pretty notable ones. I remember uh, there was one that E that the network E Online like found out and actually published a statement about Richard Hatch does something so gross, so obnoxious that it causes <laughs> one player to leave the game. So it was, I always found that really interesting that like this major network ended up publishing a spoiler, whether they thought it was a spoiler or not, or they thought it was just publicity. Mm-hmm. 
I will tell you just something. I think I mentioned this on one of our uh, listener question shows that I was. This is absolutely the time I was the most involved in the Survivor community. It was two thousand three, right there around All Stars, mm-hmm. and I was I was talking to a lot of alumni. And and what was weird is that I've never seen a funkier vibe among the alumni base than right around this time in Survivor history. All the players got really paranoid about talking to fans. They didn't want to be associated with websites. They didn't want to be talking, caught talking to fans because CBS was casting All-Stars. And CBS was super vindictive if, of you announcing All-Stars or spoiling anything about it before you were allowed to. To the point that I've heard rumors over the years that Mike Scoopin was originally cast and then they yanked him right off because he talked about it too much. But it was a really funky vibe. Like I was friends with Rob Sesternino. We used to email each other all the time. And right around the time when they were casting All-Stars, he would stop respond, returning my emails. He wouldn't talk to anybody. And he even kind of told me once off the record, I think it was on Instant Message or something, that Mario, CBS is watching all of us. We can't really talk to fans right now. So it was a really funky time and that the alumni were really scared of the network. And what's funny is it was an even funkier time when they came back from All-Stars from, from taping the show. It was interesting because none of them wanted to talk about it. Nobody was, seemed excited about All-Stars. They all kind of seemed like blah about the whole thing. Like, yeah, well, it, it, we, it filmed and it, it's done. Like, no one was really excited to be bragging about it to their friends that were writers. So I just knew it was going to be a weird season. It just, the whole vibe around All-Stars was just odd. None of the alumni were happy. You could just tell something weird happened in that season. It's a really interesting story, and I think that sums up I mean, obviously, we're not going to get to the end of All Stars today, but you know, it, it's an interesting thing to think about that they came back from their experience and just says, "Yeah, it was a thing. We did it, yeah. and it filmed." Because that's kind of the end of All Stars is that yeah, there was a game. I mean, look, it gets really emotional and it gets really personal, and there's a lot of things that you see in the episodes and there's a lot of things that are taking place that you don't see in the episodes as well. But with all of those things combined, it just created this really strange brew, I think of a season. And I I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, whether you were personally in some of those things or just witness to them, it just kind of takes it out of you. And, and just the fact that, you know, the way the season ended with the winner we had and, you know, everyone kind of knows who the winner is sort of going into it. I think that nobody was super proud of everything going in there. But that being said, what's interesting, and I guess, I guess I'm saying interesting a lot, but I just was so intrigued wa- watching the season again and especially watching the season because, again, what people need to remember, this is Survivor 8, Survivor All-Stars. We had not had any returnees until now. And we're not going to have any returnees until Survivor Guatemala a couple seasons later when we return to. And then eight seasons after Survivor All-Stars, Survivor Micronesia, Fans vs. Favorites, we return one entire tribe of returnees. And then the floodgates sort of start to open from then on. But we have this long gap where we have no returnees. And so for the longest time, we didn't really have a lot of precedent with Survivor All-Stars. And so it was this weird season. And then you look back on it, and it's still kind of weird and and everything like that. But now we've had another all all star season and we have returnees coming back just left and right and the other thing. And and what's funny is that this season I think that a lot of lessons were learned for future returnee seasons and a lot of things in Survivor All Stars aren't repeated in, in for future returnee seasons. So it sort of stands out as this weird anomaly, which is kind of fun when you think about it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. I think another big thing going into it was because Survivor was such a big thing in those first seven seasons that mm-hmm. these people knew each other. They went to events, they talked, they hung out. Whereas if you 
fat, you know, you fast forward to Micronesia or Heroes versus Villains when the pool is obviously wider, a lot of these people don't really hang out or talk to each other. They may see each other at reunions, but that's about it. So that's I feel like that's one reason why All Stars was so deeply personal. I mean, for some of these returning players that come in for later seasons, they are playing with strangers, people they've heard of but that they've never met. This one is kind of like playing a survivor game with your friends. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely a product of its time and it was just a different time in that there was very much a separation between survivor alumni and like the rest of the fan base. They were their kind of own little insular you know, universe. So it was, yeah, really personal. They knew each other left and right. They'd been dating. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on in the season that Boston Rob and Ethan had dated the same people. So Boston Rob was trying to embarrass Ethan on national TV. I mean, there's all sorts of funky stuff that happens in all stars that could have only happened because of the way survivor was right. And the fact that Ethan had dated what Jenna Lewis and, you know, they're on the same tribe and Ethan is dating Jenna Maraska at the time. I mean, you know, like it's just, it's all just a carousel. That's a really excellent point, Mike, that, you know, when returnees come back, because we're going to get into the nasty word of pre-game alliances at some point. I don't really want to talk to it now. We can sort of get it when we get into the episode. But, you know, nowadays, pre-game alliances are so cash. You know, people kind of know each other. It's it's kind of in that survivor Rolodex. But the Rolodex is so huge. And the interpersonal relationships, I think, are are, are a little more few and far between. But back then, these guys, it was a community. They yeah. knew each other. They hung out with each other. It was It was a small band of people that were on survivor. I mean, you have to think seven seasons and it's been 16 people until then do the math, not a lot of people. And some of those people, you know, went away from the survivor community. So you have to, you know, at least cut out a good quarter of those people. It's not a very large pool of people. And so survivor is plucking these people to come back and do all stars. These people intensely know each other at this point Mm -hmm. uh, to a point where, you know, it's not even like, Oh, I know you, or I recognize you from the TV. You know, some of that is true, but mostly it's just, I know you, we hung out a couple months ago, or, you know, I went to your parents' house, we had a barbecue, you know, things like that are happening, which is a way more personal level than stuff that's going on today. Yeah. and, And to expand on that, not only did they all know each other, and they all knew about All-Stars. They were all lobbying hard to be on All-Stars. Like I said, the vibe was so funky that I had, I had uh, people from, sorry, I don't want to say their names, but at least two people asked me to kind of hype them up on the message board, see if you can kind of get the ball rolling where the producers will cast me. They, were all, they all wanted to get their names out there, and they were lobbying as hard as they could to get on the show because they knew this would be the biggest thing ever and that this was the second chance for them to play Survivor, and no one would ever get a second chance again. So... Again, it was just it was an odd time. That's all I can say about it. One of the things that is fun as well, and I guess this is just sort of leading into direct pregame, was you know how like the uh, the scenario goes now when a new Survivor season comes out. You know, we knew the know, know the new Survivor season. We get the location, which nowadays isn't as exciting because it's like we're still in Samoa or we're still in Panama or we're still in the Philippines. You know, we're still somewhere where we've done a lot of filming. You know, but a lot of those early seasons of Survivor, it's like you know you learn from the reunion. Okay, we're going to Survivor. You know. Uh, Thailand or Survivor China or something like that. And then, you know, you get hyped up about that. Then they do some hyping up about the location. Then, you know, what, a couple of weeks before the show airs, they get the cast out there and then people can see who the cast is. And to tell you the truth, as big of a fan as I've been and for as much Survivor as I've watched, I have never been one to kind of, you know, hype up about cast going into a show because I'm going to let the show speak to me. I'm going to watch episode one and I'm going to meet these people kind of head on. So I didn't really buy a lot of that hype. 
But there were two seasons where I absolutely like scouted everybody beforehand. One was Survivor Australia because we're coming off the first season. And the second one is Survivor All-Stars because it's the whole thing of who's going to be on the season. And like you just obsessed about it. And then when they released the cast mm-hmm. information, I just you just go ballistic. You know, even with the people that you w- like to see back, people that you are like, why, why did they bring them back? But then you're like, maybe they're going to be good. And you, I, oh, I just spent hours just in front of the computer just dissecting this cast. Mm-hmm. How about you, Mike? <laughs> in terms <laughs> of uh, pregame stuff, well, you were just getting onto the internet. I'm curious what the new newcomer to the internet was thinking about yeah, the cast. You, you dialed in, you know, that your modem made a fun <laughs> ee sound. And then you well, uh, <laughs> talk to Smarter Child a little bit. Uh, <laughs> smarter Child. <laughs> all the keyword. hours I used to spend. <laughs> yeah, keyword All-Stars cast. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was really interesting because uh, I came from a family who... Well, I watched the first seasons, but then uh, my parents basically tuned out after the first season. My sister casually watched with me until about Pearl Islands or so. So it was interesting to, to, to once I got all the information from the cast, to see how they'd react to it. Obviously, my parents didn't know half of them, and my sister was too young to kind of realize everything. But I'm, I was really excited about it. Again, I, I can't stress enough how much something like this had never happened before on any type of television show so to have all these amazing characters come back it was like a fan fictionist dream come true uh just 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 to to imagine you know it's one of those things that a super fan lies awake at night thinking about like oh i wonder if ethan and richard were on the same tribe what would they say to each other how would they interact so to actually have that materialized was so exciting and i think these first few episodes really hype up that excitement. I, these are really entertaining episodes. It's just around episode five or so that everything just kind of hits a wall and slides down. Yeah, I was just going to say that for, in preparation for this podcast, I only watched the first four episodes because I knew we wouldn't get too far into this. And I, you know, I kind of surprised myself because I really liked the first four episodes. I had a good time watching them. I was just picking out little jokes, little inside things, little, uh, oh yeah, I remember how Richard used to do that. Just little things like that. And at not one point in the first four seasons do I think, oh, this season sucks. So, again, I really enjoy the start of the season to back up what you said. It is, I mean, all Jenna Lewis jokes aside, as I've said before, the first couple of episodes, and especially episode one, and especially the beginning of episode one, it's as close to survivor porn as you can get. Yeah. I mean, it is just, it is really good. And I, I said during Pearl Islands, one of the reasons why I love Pearl Islands, not only great cast, not only great season with all the fun, unfair, outcast twist, and just everything great that came from it. I feel like Survivor really was hitting its stride as far as, you know, pacing of the episodes, narrative of the episodes, just everything kind of coming together and they don't suddenly lose it for all stars. It's not like it all goes out the window. It's just, Mm -hmm. they had, you know, they have to work with what the players give them. And so, you know, they had to tell a weird story because the story, because the show went weird, but at the beginning with all of these characters on the screen and the, and the season progressing as it is, I mean, they are not dropping a beat by any, by any stretch of the imagination. These first episodes are really good. Just as a personal aside here, I I don't want to dominate this, podcast with me talking about my all-star stories because i yeah, can absolutely well, do that well, but i have to, I have to it, tell you this it wouldn't stop you from doing i mean you've done it before might as <laughs> yeah, well yeah. now uh, but people will like this you know i, I are you I, sure they will like this i'm positive you'll like the story like folks my, if you don't fast forward about three minutes <laughs> fuck you temp <laughs> sorry yes sir yeah just erase that part we'll forget that all right so anyway <laughs> so anyway um 
like I said, all, I wrote these all-star stories, and they were like predictions. This was my best bet. I'm like, based on everything I know about psychology and human behavior and these people, this is what Survivor All-Stars would kind of be like. And what's funny is Rob Sesternino told me that when he came back. He goes, you know, I was kind of reading your story in my head as it was playing. He's like, you have no idea how close you were to a lot of the stuff that happened in real All-Stars. He goes, it was really eerie because a lot of the times he said things would happen on the show, and he felt like he'd seen it before. <laughs> So it just if you read those stories, you'll just see. I remember I wrote this before All Stars, and a lot of the stuff, in particular with Richard, Colby, Kathy, like I almost predicted it word for word how it ended up happening on the show, like entire scenes. So it was just funny that Rob had said the same thing that like this really kind of was Survivor porn. If you love Survivor, and you kind of knew all the characters, it was so weird seeing all these permutations and people interacting with each other that shouldn't be interacting, like. Big Tom and Boston Rob should not be having a conversation. That was just the weirdest thing. And yet they are. And yet they are. Um, really quickly before we get into it, because I really, oh man, I have just been waiting so long to go to get Survivor Historians. And I know that it's sort of a disappointment that we're talking about All-Stars. But hey, we're talking about a season. We're moving forward. And I'd love to. Something that people asked us over and over again, and we sort of dodged. We sort of answered. But something preseason that I want to get out of the way. Yes, the season was spoiled. Yes, blah, blah, blah. We talked about how it was the second season after Australian Outback to air after the Super Bowl, which is out what, what a big season it was. People have asked us about the cast. Should we just get into it now and yes. get it out of the way? Yeah. All right, nice gentlemen. Job. 18 people are chosen for Survivor All-Stars, and the, we obviously know that the 18 people were there, six for each tribe. Mm-hmm. People have asked us, is this, your ideal, is this your ideal cast? And if not, who do you think was a snub? That is an excellent question, and we could talk about this for about four hours. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. The way the way I just want to break this down, it's easier to, for people to picture this. Because, again, I doing all my stories, I did so many permutations over in my head of brainstorming of what a Survivor cast would look like. I mean, for two years, this is all I did was think of this stuff. So there were nine male slots and nine female slots. That's how you have to look at it. Mm-hmm. If you really break it down, eight of those male spots in particular had to be on the show. This is just real life how TV and casting of Survivor works. So there was very little wiggle room the producers had. And in general, I think the male cast of All-Stars was absolutely fantastic. Considering they got some people that I didn't think they would get, like Rudy and Colby and mm-hmm. Richard, like at the time, that really had no business playing Survivor again. So again, to break this down, there were nine male spots. Richard, in a perfect world, if you want Richard, you need Richard. So Richard has to be in there. That's one. Yep. Rudy was probably the all-time biggest most popular male cast member so rudy has to be in there. yes third one is uh you get rupert he has to be in there yeah rupert has to be on so we got uh, now we have the first uh really popular male winner ethan that's four males that have to be on automatically i agree with that yeah Mm -hmm. so now it starts getting a little trickier but now you have to think of this in real world terms like how survivor had evolved there was this deal in uh Survivor Africa, where Lex and Big Tom were screwed over by a production mistake. And I know we talked about that, mm-hmm. where the producers got the answer wrong. It cost Big Tom. It maybe cost Big Tom out of the money. It maybe cost Lex a win. And there's been rumors over the years that those two were promised a spot in All-Stars So if they wouldn't like make a big stink about it on the show. If they're like, we'll pay you off and we'll give you a spot on All-Stars if you don't sue. Because the producers really did screw up there. So if you think about that, in fact, that in Lex and Big Tom had to be in this cast. Yeah, I also thought there were I thought there were big characters, big enough characters of their own right as well. Yeah. I think the big Africa three were dynamic characters in their own way. You had Ethan the nice guy, Tom the clown, and Lex the 
evil tattooed mastermind. And I think they all made their mark enough. So I, I personally feel that like even without this this deal that happened, I think they would have been on the cast. Yeah. Here's where, I, point. here's where I slightly disagree, but he, again, here's the thing. Well, something that All-Stars, and again, on the rewatch, it, it's it's kind of funny, you know, and, and even not in the rewatch, rewatch, live, Big Tom is an excellent TV character, and I think Big Tom has, uh, you know, for all the things that happen with Big Tom and Survivor All-Stars, I think he has a pretty good go-around television-wise of it, and... I, you know, just objectively looking at it, I actually sort of disagree. I feel like you could leave Big Tom out, yeah. and things are all right. I think Lex is a definite must, yeah. And 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 Big Tom, you could leave out. However, Big Tom, he's one of those guys where if you said no, he's in, I'm not really gonna like throw up a fuss and say, mm-hmm. well, where are you coming from? Because definitely, it's it's he's the he's the Africa Three, he's Big Tom. I get it, but. In theory, I feel like you could leave Big Tom out, but I don't really see very many replacements, so I'm willing to go with it. Yeah, and he was well, a great comic. Yeah, go ahead. I was just saying, especially if you think it's a, if it's a season of like we're bringing together the best players. Tom isn't necessarily a a great strategic what? mind. How dare you say that? <laughs> I'm sorry, Tom. He's not sorry, Tom. Tom's not listening. Tom's not on the internet. Come on. <laughs> Continue, not Paul. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, may I have another? Uh, I think that bringing... So if you think about All-Stars as bringing together all these strategic minds, Tom might be on the short list because he is a character. You could, you could say some things about things like him and, and Sue Hawk, these people that might not necessarily be the known for their gameplay savviness, but they're known for these you know big things that they did on the show. So I guess there's... I guess since we're getting... We're really focusing on the casting now, those are the the two components that they had to go off of with the casting are who were, who were the big players and who were the big characters and, and who removed ticks from girls asses. <laughs> <laughs> and again, Tom was just unique. There's nobody else yeah. who can really fit his niche. So which, yeah. which is, there's which other is, funny people. Yeah. Which is why I'm not throwing up a fuss. So yeah. Yeah. With, Lex, yeah. with Lex and big Tom, we've got six. Yeah. And those code. So the next two that are obvious Colby is bigger than just about anybody who's ever been on the show yes. at the time. Mm-hmm. And he is like best friends with probes. Women love him. Even Rosie O'Donnell, who was, I, I'm not sure if she was out at the time as a lesbian, but she was in love with Colby even. Yep. So, so she rode it on a motorcycle with him. Exactly. So Colby has to be there. And now that's seven. Now you got Rob Sesternino, who at the time was the biggest thing since sliced yep. bread, where people were routinely referring to him as maybe a better player than hatch. Now, in retrospect, I don't know if that's true or not. You have to kind of keep this in its historical context. But at the time, he was what Survivor is and where it had gone. Yep. So there is no way he is not going to be in the cast. So right there, that's eight. And again, with Alex and Tom, you have to realize there might have been some producer uh, promises in there. This isn't confirmed. Just enough people have told me this over the years so I, that I believe it's true. But that's eight. So you have eight of your nine male casting spots that are not going anywhere. I mean, those guys were in the show. So... Before anybody bitches about the All-Star cast, and believe me, they did at the time. Everyone bitched about the All-Stars cast. That's eight male slots they are going to be in there. You only have one wiggle room casting spot left for a man. And they picked Boston Rob, who probably wouldn't have been who I would have picked. In my opinion, Mike Scoopin should have had that spot just because he was a big story at the time in Survivor. But, I, I, again, I, was a big, I liked Boston Rob at the time. He was a fun character. He was kind of a minor character. I didn't raise a stink about it too much because he's someone actually used in my Hawaii story as well as an all-star. So, But again, he, he was an obvious pick, but he's the one casting spot for males that you kind of have some wiggle room there. Yep. And something that's going to be a theme of what we're talking about is that a lot of these people that 
sort of were on the bottom or in quote unquote fringe people do really, really well because Survivor All-Stars is going to prove to be this weird anomaly where, you know, you know, a lot of times when these returnees come back, you know, someone will say like, well, why don't they just kick the returnees off first? You know, and the problem is, is that they're either so good or so such a big character and you know experience is so much to a game where everyone's kind of new and you have you know experienced people uh that are there that know things and stuff like that it's really hard to kick off and so uh you know that that's sort of you know the way things go but in all stars this first group of everybody that's played the game before it was almost to the point at these early episodes where if they needed to kick somebody off they did and a lot of times that's that's really weird but you know (laughs) It's it's but because of that, a lot of these characters like Boss and Rob, who you're identifying as sort of that last sort of fringe male uh, spot that gets on Survivor All Stars, does really really well. But it is an interesting thing because you're saying you know Mike Scoopin should have gotten that spot, and you know it's really interesting to think that Mike Scoopin should get that spot. You could argue, though, it's it's something where, like, look, for better or for worse, Boston Rob took his spot in Survivor All Stars and turned it into gold. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, only- I don't think you can argue that Mike Scoopin would do anything with his spot. <laughs> so the, the only the only gripe that I would have with the male cast for All Stars is that there weren't there sorry there wasn't any sort of diversity represented. Yeah. But really, you couldn't. The only personally, the only two male males of color that I would possibly think about casting on All-Stars would be Jervis and Sean. And Jervis, I'd, I don't know what his situation was. I don't know if he would be willing to come back. But Sean, I would actually put Boston Rob above Sean because you see moves like the Hunter move and you have this whole Rob Father storyline. And I think Boston Rob actually might have brought more appeal to an All-Star season than Sean would have. Yeah. It's again, and, and something I always point out is that Sean was not particularly well liked by the audience. Yep. He was not really a popular character, so I never really factored him into being a possibility on the show. Although in retrospect, he was fantastic. I think. Yeah, yeah. he he's, yeah. Sean is great, uh, and I and I agree with you, Mike. I think what hurt Sean ultimately was that Sean lasted so long in Marquesas, so we saw all the iterations of Sean. Whereas Boston Rob sort of, you know. F- flamed really brightly and then just got snuffed really, really quickly right after the merge. And so you were kind of left with, wow, he was a big character. I'd like to see more of that. Whereas where Sean kind of went through and everyone's like, oh, Sean, I've seen him. Yeah. But yeah, not to mention, the- his, not to mention his exit was a little racy to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's Sean would have been great. Again, it's, there's no one who brainstormed all-star cast more than me at the time. Um, just for that ninth cast spot, if there was one, if you could have some wiggle room to cast anybody in that ninth spot, there's a couple names. I'm sure you guys are going to know who I'm talking about right off the top of my head, like the elephants in the room here who probably should have been considered for All-Stars. Like Scoopin's the big one. I'll talk more about him later. Jervis, again, is a big one. He was a big name at the time. Uh, the one that jumps out is Brian Heideck, another one who I think had a, uh, a good say why he should have been there. Um, then you had uh, someone like uh, John Dalton. Yeah. Johnny Fairplay. Mm-hmm. That's see to me, he's the one that stands out. In fact, I, I was just reading the uh, this morning the the my All Star uh, column I wrote at Survivor Central the week right before the 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 premiere of All Stars, and it's funny the one person I point I point out in my column that should be in the cast is John Dalton. So even back then, people were realizing that you know Dalton he should be he was a big deal. Johnny Fairplay. So those are kind of the elephants in the room who weren't in that cast and probably should have. Let's let's also let's also quash this right now because. 
you yes. know, again, people people say this all around. A lot of people say Brian Heideck was, you know, I, was slated to be on Survivor All Stars, but apparently he asked for some outrageous appearance fee, uh-huh. and they didn't want to pay it, and so he wasn't on it. Let's just quash it right now. Whether that story is true or not, it's irrelevant because. <laughs> I don't think that Brian Heideck really was being called. So Brian Heideck, you know, can go around and say, I asked for an appearance fee and that's why I didn't go on all stars. And it's like, or they didn't call you, Brian. Yeah. I could point out. Yeah. No, go ahead, Mario. I was going to say, I could point out that I asked for an appearance fee too. It doesn't mean that's why I wasn't cast. Like they wanted nothing to do with Brian. If you know your survivor history, Thailand was not well liked by the audience and the producers absolutely didn't like that show. Probes didn't like it. They hated Heidek. They thought he was a creep. And I've heard rumors. They didn't know he was a porn star, like an adult film star until after the season started taping. So I mean, it started airing like he kind of hid that from them. So there's all sorts of reasons they wanted nothing to do with Brian. They never really built him up as a great winner after that season. They cut ties with him so fast that there's absolutely not a universe on this planet or in this solar. There's not a planet on the, in the solar system where Brian Heideck would have been considered for All-Stars. They wanted nothing to do with that creep. Do you guys believe the uh, widely stated rumor that Mark Burnett called every person that participated in every season and asked them if they wanted to be on All-Stars? The only reason I would believe that is because there was a lot of misdirection by the producers to fool everybody because they were doing their best to uh, eliminate pregame alliances. They didn't want people knowing who was going to be in the cast. So I do believe there's some truth to that, but I also don't believe it has anything to do with who they really meant to cast. Just again, I know what the survivor world was like at the time, and I know how paranoid the producers and the players were that the the producers were absolutely trying to mess with all the players. They did not want everyone to know who was going to be on that season. First of all, nice analogy, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Second of all, (laughs) um, yeah, I I actually believe that they called everyone, you know, A, just to see how they were doing, but B, I think it's just misdirection like Mario said. But of course, there's the famous Mark Burnett quote where he says, it was a real scientific process. I wrote 24 names on a yellow legal pad and narrowed it down to 18. So, yep. you know, and, and I think that there is truth to that. I'm not saying that's exactly how it was, but you knew that they weren't considering everyone. But did they call everyone? Yeah, maybe. That, <laughs> you know, <laughs> things happen, right? I mean, it, it's like everything in the TV industry. You get more than you need. And that's, that's where a lot of the misdirection on, like, people who were, you know, being called for shows. And, you know, there's always backups and standbys and all that sort of stuff that we never really hear about. And it's just all in case something falls through with somebody, you know, they got to cover their bases. They're not just going to call just the exact number. And then something happens. They're like, Oh crap, we need to come up with some sort of backup plan. Like, you know, in television, you have to have backups upon backups upon backups. So I think that's, that's just more the case of anything else. Now, you know who the quote unquote official backup was the male cast member for survivor all-stars, right? Wasn't it Ken? Ken of all people. (laughs) Ken from Thailand, there was a, a cast list floating around Survivor Sucks at the time, which pretty much was confirmed as being true later. And it said at the time that oh, the backup male choice was Ken and the backup female choice was Sandra, which at the time was a huge spoiler that Sandra probably does well in Pearl Island. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the Ken thing just always makes me laugh. I'm like, really, just because this guy was a New York City cop, they wanted, they thought he was a, a more deserving all-star than someone like Brian Heideck or Johnny Fairplay. But apparently that's how it worked. Uh, I don't don't know if that's 100% true. I just know that Ken name was floating around in a long time. Before we get to the female cast members real quick and then we can move on, um, I think that 
you know, that's, that's something people need to know is that there's backups, there's, you know, standbys, Ken, Sandra, whatever it is. Uh, and all I know is I believe that Mark Burnett has gone on record and said officially that two people did turn down all-star spots, but that's it. And so yeah. when you hear survivors talk about, and, and those two people, of course, were Elizabeth and Colleen. So like they were offered spots. They said, no, other people have said, oh, I, I, I said no when they called me or I said this. And, and again, this is part <laughs> yeah. of the misdirection. And I'm not saying that they're lying to you. That's, that's not precisely what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I don't know if they were ever really seriously considered. They may have been called. Again, it's this whole backups upon backups or just you know misdirection going on. And so uh, that's all I'm saying. I mean, all, of, all we know is that you know these 18 people were chosen and Mark Burnett has gone on record and said, yeah, Elizabeth and Colleen were slated, but they said no. Other than that, everything else is just what people are saying. Yep. I'm sure Patricia Jackson said no, too. Well, of course. <laughs> yeah, but again... Well, no, that's, that's less opportunities for people to rub suntan lotion on her. <laughs> uh, gross. <laughs> Ew, nasty. <laughs> All right. So, but yeah, that's the one thing to get out of this. Don't buy that story that Brian Heideck came anywhere near being cast on All-Stars. It just wasn't going to happen. It's just There's nothing that backs that up. No common sense backs up that rumor. Yes. And, Despite and, what Brian says. And you heard it from us, and we have gone on record in you know, a million-hour podcast saying Brian Heideck is really great and one of the best winners of all time. So yeah. there you go. All right, female cast, Mario. Wait, before we get to that, one quick Damn thing. It. I, got, I got to follow up on the Mike story because a okay. lot of people might ask about this. I have heard a rumor. Now, I don't know how true this is other than I've heard it from several people, and I heard it at the time. This isn't anything new. That Mike was originally cast in the show, but – he blabbed his mouth a little too much, which Mike is actually known to do this over the years about what? There, yeah, about there being an all stars, about him no. being on it. And I've heard that the producers yanked him out of the cast to make an example out of him to other people, saying, "Don't talk about this until you're allowed to talk about it." So I don't know if that's true or not. I doubt Mike could even tell you if you asked him. I've heard this so many times over the years that he actually was in the cast, which makes sense because. In the eighth season, if you wanted one survivor to come back and get a second chance, Mike would have been the first person almost everybody named just because of the way he went out. So I have heard that rumor. I don't know if it's true. I just always like bringing it up that I heard Mike was in the cast and he got yanked and it was replaced with Boston Rob, which sure would have made a lot of difference in survivor history if that wouldn't have happened. Let's just put it that way. It's true. It's interesting to think about what the world would be like if Boston Rob didn't get a second chance at this game. Yeah. I Colby think, would have played at least like five more times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's that. I think. I think ultimately, for the sake of everyone, it's probably a good thing that Mike got yanked because I don't. If Mike were on Survivor All Stars, maybe Survivor All Stars is a happier and slightly better season for that sort of thing. I'll give you that because Boston Rob is going to swat this game up pretty fierce. However. The results, like the things that happen because of Rob, I think that, you know, some levels of positivity do come out of Survivor All-Stars, not necessarily the season itself, but just things that it goes. And for better or for worse, all these seasons in, I, I would consider, you know, Boston Rob in conjunction with perhaps Richard Hatch to be the faces of this franchise. And all things considered, he's not a bad face of the franchise. So, you know, I guess there's something good comes out of all this, but, uh, you know... Yay, Mike Scoopin. Yes. Oh, well. Okay, female cast. Do it. <laughs> I will do them all, yes. Thank you. That's what he said. All right, so anyway, female cast, well, a little more problematic because a lot of the top choices said no. And this is, most people know this. If you're not familiar with Survivor history, you might not know this. 
there's a couple people they needed in the cast. I mean, at Survivor in 2003, these were the female Survivor All-Stars. Tina has to be on there. Uh, yes. Sue Hawk has to be on there, just because that moment was maybe the biggest ever. Yeah, I begrudgingly agree. Yeah. Jerry has to be on there. Yes. Yeah. And this is where we start getting into... Pro- oh, sorry. Kathy O'Brien, who yes. I, I was like pointing out was, again, Rob Sesternino at time she was the biggest thing since sliced bread because she was so popular at the time and she was a later character which is funny to think as season four as being later but in all-star context it is so those are four now we start getting tricky because the other two that have to be in there colleen and elizabeth both say no yep and these are really the only two people i think that said no the big name had to have them that said no yep mm-hmm. so then we start getting tri- tri- tricky because the way Survivor works is you need to cast, you don't cast people, you cast demographics. And these are the young, hot, cute girls. So we need another young, hot, cute girl. So they start going around to other people. And I've heard rumors that they asked Heidi and she said no. That they wanted Nalia on, but that didn't work out either. So they're really kind of scraping here because there weren't really that many people that occupied that, that demographic at the time. I mean, Kim Powers really wasn't an all-star. I'm trying to think of who else. Shauna, I mean, she was basically a quitter. They're not going to bring her back. Uh, Dara really didn't resonate with anybody. I mean, she was kind of just there. So it's it's interesting. Like this is how you end up with the Jenna Lewis and the Amber, which a lot of people at the time took offense to. And I still love taking digs that Amber was an all star. But that's how you end up with those two. And this is where the female cast gets a little more mixed up than the male cast because they couldn't get all of their first choices. I actually kind of, I kind of agree with the Jenna Lewis cast choice just because I believe that you needed 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 someone from pagong on that season pagong was and still might be one of the most universally on the whole beloved tribes of all time you had to have somebody represent on that tribe unfortunately it was probably the least liked member of the most (laughs) well-liked tribe but you know if you need a a young woman from a a pagong representative and colleen says no (laughs) it's her ramona so yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's that it, that's a really interesting point because to tell you the truth i actually agree more with the amber casting than the jenna lewis casting although the pagong thing throws a wrinkle because that is a really good point but you know survivor australia being just the hugest survivor season i mean we i was watching this in a college dorm with my friends and we literally sat up there and had debates on you know elizabeth or amber you know what i mean like it was it was which one did you did you find hot the most? I mean, you know, we had lots of discussions about Amber back then. And so if you were trying to get, you know, someone from the first seven seasons to fill the young, good looking girl demographic, I, I, I don't think Amber's a bad choice just because she was on the right season for all of that to happen. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. I, I'm a big I'm a big fan of what Mike said, that I love the Jenna Lewis casting idea. When they were announced, she was one of my favorite people in the cast just because there was all this stuff at the time where Mark Burnett and in his first book said that Jenna Lewis, they thought, was going to be the big villain in Borneo. I mean, they were convinced she was the villainous character and she was going to backstab everybody. And it just didn't happen because of the kind of the combination of how Pagong worked and who she was with. So when they announced her as coming back, I'm like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. She's going to be a little super villain the second time around, which, again, if you knew Burnett's book, you could see that coming. That wasn't really a surprise. It, it surprised a lot of people who didn't know the history of Survivor. But, yeah, I, I thought she was a really inspired casting choice. I'm like, oh, right. it's going to be fun to have her in there because the Pagongs had taken so much crap over the years on the Internet, on any Survivor board as not knowing what they were doing. 
it's like, well, they knew what they were doing. They were just playing a different game than Richard was. So, like, they were pissed, I'm sure. So, the minute Jenna got cast again, I'm like, she's going to be so furious that everyone thought the Pagongs were idiots. She's going to go out there and just start killing people, which is exactly kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. I guess, in a way, though, you kind of have to, you know, if Jenna Lewis is an inspired casting choice, it's, again, this whole thing about the bottom rung being able to do things in Survivor All-Stars because a lot of the, you know, the less fringe people are getting eliminated first. And Jenna Lewis is definitely a fringe character, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I feel like if Jenna Lewis is an inspired choice, Boston Rob is also an inspired choice. And mm-hmm. what's fun is that when you watch this season again, not only does Boston Rob clearly stand out, Jenna Lewis stands out a lot when you yeah. watch this season. And so I am, you know, I, again, she isn't in theory who I would really want to be on the season, but I'm kind of in retrospect, glad she was because she brought a lot to it. She did. And that's the thing. It's so many people need to remember that, that she was the one person aside from maybe Boston Rob going into that game with a chip on her shoulder. She was so furious at the way Pagong and her reputation had been kind of talked about on the internet over the years. She just went into that thing with an agenda that she was going to make a difference this time. And she was going to, people were going to remember Jenna Lewis the second time around. So. Oh, spoiler alert for the rest of this podcast. She's going to be my punching bag for everything. So let's keep going. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. So now the female cast is interesting because it seemed to me that the producers were more interested in casting young, cute females. That was their thing. Yeah. We wanted younger, hotter females to the point that two people that I thought should have been absolute gimmies or at least highly considered, Helen Glover and Teresa Cooper, absolutely right there at the top of who should have been on a female all-star season to the point that I used both of them in my stories just because they were female all-stars. I've heard rumors that they weren't even called. like They didn't even get initial probing calls to see if they were interested. That's something T-Bird once told me. She's like, they never even contacted me. She's like, they didn't even care. So it's like, it's interesting. The producers really only wanted younger females in the cast, which is how you ended up in there with Sheehan, with the Alicia. They just wanted the younger people in there. They weren't interested in like T-Bird who was in her forties and Helen in her forties, which I think was really unfortunate. It's, it's kind of a reality of how TV works. Like they want the girls in the bikinis that people will look at. And I, I, I just, I just think it's unfortunate because I think Helen and T-Bird were absolutely huge snubs. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it also harkens a little bit to how Survivor was starting to skew its cast as well. Uh, the, the earlier seasons definitely had a lot more of the older tribe members on it, but I think what they kind of felt was, oh, we have our two, let's uh, mm-hmm. let's move forward and keep trying to find other people. So this this might show the turning point of when Survivor started to uh, pull from its younger ranks. Uh-huh. And to follow up even more on that, then you have Dina. I think Dina would have been an absolutely top-notch all-star. She never really got considered. And then it's even funnier because there were really two female winners at the time who no one really cared about, who were really unpopular at the time among the fan base, Vesepia and Jenna Maraska. And I'm sure it's no coincidence that the the younger one who wears a bikini and a swimsuit model was cast and the other one wasn't, despite the fact that neither one really had much of a fan base. What did you guys think of the Jenna Maraska casting? Because... I mean, I, 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 from what I remember, there was a little bit, from what I've experienced, there was a little bit about outcry at it just because of how her season ended on such a sour note and the way she was portrayed on her first season. Yeah, yeah. people just didn't like her. I mean, it's, yeah. they were so pro Christy and that Heidi and Jenna were bullies who bullied Christy that she was such either a meh character, like, eh, whatever, or people just hated her. She just was not very popular among the internet fan base. And again, I'm not speaking for every fan. I just am talking about the general consensus among the internet. Jenna Maraska was not either not cared about or not liked. So she, when I saw her in the cast, I'm like, oh, why her? I just like, like, whatever. That was my impression of her. 
It was, yeah. I mean, I, I'd have to say that, Mike. It, it, as much as Mario's saying that, you know, they needed to fill a demographic of, you know, good-looking younger girl in, in some of these things, and Jenna Maraska fits that bill. I think people, again, it's this whole fact of I've seen her, we're done. And, yeah. it, you know, it was just the fact that since she won Amazon, people didn't like her that much, didn't like the fact that she won at the, at the time. You know, people didn't necessarily want to see her again. Mm-hmm. And again, the, the, what I remember thinking at the time is, well, if they're going to pick one of them to be in the show, why not pick Heidi? At least Heidi was more fun. Like Jenna wasn't even agree. fun. She wasn't even like a fun villain. Yeah, and I think, I think Heidi would have had a more fun storyline if you're going with this Will the will the dumb girl prove her IQ and go on to dominate the game? I think that's more of an appealing storyline than this girl was the mean girl and now let's put her on the beach and see what happens. Can you imagine Heidi on Mogo Mogo commenting on Rich, on Naked Richard's penis for four, three episodes, four episodes? <laughs> that's would have been the greatest confessionals ever. I just want to see Heidi and Richard square off on who's smarter. <laughs> All right. Only. Um, yeah, we mentioned Vesepia. I have to talk about Vesepia because she falls into the Brian Heideck category where there's been rumors over the years that she came close to being cast or she wasn't cast because she was pregnant or they would have cast her. All of that is complete bullshit. There's no chance they would have cast Vesepia on the show, and she's confirmed that with me. I talked to her right around uh, that time, and she's like, they never called me. They never wanted me. Like Nobody, nobody even made an effort for Vesepia. And there's been a rumor over the years that because she was pregnant, that is absolutely not true. And I know that because I met Vesepia the night before the Thailand finale. And I happened to have my little uh, five-month-old son with me. So I sat with Vesepia and my wife, and we were talking to her about, about babies. And she was like nine months pregnant at the time. This is a full year and a half, almost a year and a half before All-Stars. So she was not pregnant at the time. She'd given birth well before All-Stars. They absolutely could have cast her at the, on the show if they wanted to. No one was interested. No fans like Vesepia. The producers had no interest in her whatsoever. So let's quash any rumors that Vesepia came anywhere near the cast or they even considered her. It never would have happened. And it kills me because I love Vesepia. That's always the tough part with, uh, with, with this thing. When people ask us, you know, who would you cast in the season? I would cast Dina on the season. I would cast Helen on the season. You know, I'd give a look at Vesepia. But the thing is, is that as awesome as Vesepia is, wasn't the best television. No. And so I can understand that sort of fact. And, and yeah. that's always the question of if you don't, if, if, if you put in Helen, if you put in Dina, who do you take out? And the problem is, is that you would say, well, I'd take out Sheehan and Jenna Maraska. And it's like, okay, then you have old women on the show and not a lot of young women. And people don't like that. Like the problem is, is that you have a tricky, as, as Mario said, you're, you're casting demographics you know, and so like if you cast Helen, you have to take out Sue Hawk, which I'm all for personally, <laughs> but that's a really tough argument to make at this time. Because yeah. as, as Mike has, has already said, it's a small pool of people that, that you're going to do this thing. And, it, it, and as Mario said earlier, this was a spike. People came back and watched Survivor for this all-star season. And you have to remember which seasons were the most watched seasons. It was the first three. It was uh, mm-hmm. Borneo, Australia, then Africa. And so, and if you notice this cast, five of the 18 are from Survivor Australia and four of them are from Survivor Borneo and you have three from Survivor Africa. So over half the cast is from these first three seasons. That's yeah. not a coincidence. They're just playing to what they thought people would want to see and they were right. Yeah. And just to follow up on what you said, you said that people don't like watching old people on TV. They want to see young people. 
I absolutely think the Survivor fan base would have been fine with older people on the show. I totally disagree with the logic, and I know this this isn't me disagreeing with you. This is me me disagreeing yep. with TV executives yep, yep, that, yep. that we need young bikini people on the show. I'm like, I don't think people care all that much. It's a very superficial way of looking at TV that they have to be beautiful for us to left to us to look at them. And then again, there's nothing wrong with with people like T Bird and Vesepi. I mean, they're just not young twenty year old girls in bikinis. I think they're absolutely good looking and nice people and pleasant. It's just, it's just, I totally disagree that they think the survivor audience is that dumb that we need young 20 year old, pretty people to look at, or we'll get bored. I totally disagree with that. And it kills me again, that Helen, Dina, T-Bird, none of these people even got a second glance. It, it absolutely kills me. They didn't consider them for all stars. Well, I know one audience member who really liked the idea of old people falling down. So I know he <laughs> was really disappointed. Yes. God. How about you? What's your stance on old people falling down? I mean, I'm a frequent America's Home Videos uh, watcher. Uh, they're not not as funny to me as crotch shots. Crotch shots to me are just, I don't know what reflex in me makes me giggle uncontrollably, but it's just, it's heaven to watch sometimes. It's probably why I have a lot of Adam Sandler movies on DVD. <laughs> you know what's going <laughs> to... What's going to kill me is that we're going to get to Rudy falling down here in a couple episodes, and Paul's not going to be here to be uh, giggling over it. So, Mike, you're going to have to it. Yeah. So just fill in and, and pretend you find that really funny when Rudy's falling down and dying on TV. Done and done. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to go over in the cast? I don't really want to go too much more on this, but that's, I mean, just, we talked about the realities of it, that the males, they had very, very little wiggle room and they got just about everybody they wanted. The females, they got most of the people they wanted. They had to get a couple backups and they just skewed young and they, that was really it. Did you want to touch upon uh, the division of tribes? You know, what? Yeah. If whether yeah, we, whether you thought it was good to see the matchups. Yeah, I mean, the we'll main thing, when you're like, I, get, I, I did my story, so I know the realities of casting all stars. You have to split the alliances apart. You can't have Colby and Tina on the same tribe. You can't have Rich and Sue. You can't have Lex and Ethan. So, I mean, you just have to split, start splitting ap- alliances apart. And once that happens, the tribes kind of make themselves. I mean, it's you have to pe- have these people on different tribes, so they kind of have to stay apart. So, Jerry and Colby went on different tribes, Tina, Colby. Stuff like that. So, although it is interesting that Jerry and Tina ended up on the same tribe since they hated each other. You, you can't, yeah, you, you can't allow for everything. But yeah, you have a point there. You know, uh, Rich and Sue and Rudy were all on different tribes. Mm-hmm. You know, and Tina and Colby were on different tribes. Lex, Tom, and Ethan were all on different tribes. So, you know, you take, you know, from those first couple seasons, you have to take some of these people. Amber and Jerry were not on the same tribe. So, you know, you have to take some of those people and split them apart. And then there are people that weren't necessarily in alliance. Like Rob Sesternino and Jenna Maraska did work together sometimes in Survivor Amazon. But, you know, they also were at odds at times. But, you know, they were like, you know what, let's put them apart. We don't necessarily need to have them together. So they really tried to keep the people on seasons apart from each other. And yeah, Jerry and Tina ended up on the same tribe, but they certainly didn't like each other in Survivor Australia, so they were like, that'll be a fun dynamic uh, versus other things as well. Yeah, I I think... think, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think they tried really hard to make the season fair. And what's interesting is they tried so hard to split the alliances apart that they didn't realize they were leaving some winners out there to die, which is, it was really the, the fundamental problem with All-Stars. So we'll get to that more in the future. But they tried really hard to make it fair. And it just, it's, they just turned a blind spot to this idea that, oh, I didn't realize the winners would just get picked off. And that's really the one flaw in All-Stars. Otherwise, I think they did a pretty good job at doing what they were trying to do, which was split everything apart so you had no pregame friends. 
I think the reason why they actually put Jerry on Saboga with Tina was because she was kind of the lesser of three evils. Like, if you have a choice, okay, Jerry is going to go on a try with either Colby or Alicia or Tina. I think she actually, Tina would probably be, would stand a chance of being the nicest person to her, (laughs) considering what the other two possibilities may be. Considering Tina's maybe the meanest person ever in Survivor history, that's an excellent observation. <laughs> no, I just I think that's funny that yeah, like Jerry, well, she'll do well with Tina just passive aggressing nitpicking her for forty for thirty nine days. <laughs> what I think is also a really fun thing is that people look at those three tribes: Shapira, Saboga, and Mogo Mogo. And you can look at, or I'm sorry, as Jeff Probst says, Moga Moga, and says, um, you know, a lot of people can kind of generalize something about the tribes and what's funny is is that i honestly don't think this is the case i think it's a happy coincidence that something sort of came out but i i think ultimately how they split the tribes is exactly what we're saying they had they split up a lot of what they perceived to be pre-game or old game alliances and you could see it i i think that the the proof is right there in the pudding the fact that you know richard and rudy and sue are not on the same tribe lex tom and ethan are not on the same tribe like you you could see what they were doing but People look at these three tribes. You look at Saboga. You've got Rupert, who's one of the most beloved survivors up to this point, and Rudy, who's one of the beloved survivor players up to this point, and Ethan, you know, the nicest winner we've had, you know, and then you've got Jenna Lewis that obviously Mark Burnett said you knew would be a villain, but, you know, most people who watch the game know she's the young girl that was on Pagong. And you have Jerry, who's, you know, the main queen villain, and, and then you have Tina, which everyone's just like, she was the whatever Australia winner, but generally on Saboga, it everyone's kind of like, ah, oh, it's the nice person tribe. Yeah. And then you have like uh, Shapira, right? And you have Boston Rob, who was, you know, the Rob father. And you have Sue Hawk, who, you know, did the snakes and rats speech. And yeah, you have Amber, who's Lamber. And you have uh, Big Tom, who's the goofball. But Big Tom had a lot of, Big Tom was meaner in Africa than people sort of remember. Absolutely. And we've, t- we've, touched, we've touched on that. And you have Rob Sesternino, the mastermind, the greatest player never to win the game. And you have Alicia, who's waving her finger in your face. Shapira is kind of the, the hot-headed tribe. Not really a villain tribe, just kind of like the, the, the all-emotion sort of tribe. And they're wearing red. I mean, I think that all that is kind of fun. And then you have Mogo Mogo, who's got Lex and Kathy and Colby and Richard Hatch and stuff like that. Like that's kind of the, the thinking man strategic sort of tribe. And what's funny is that I don't think that's how they got those tribes sorted at all. I think that's just a happy coincidence as it, as it comes out, but it's sort of a fun thing to think about. Yeah. And I think just touching upon the choice to divide them into three tribes, I think it goes really nicely with the beginning of the season, which I feel like producers did a great job of, all right, let's bring in all these people who think they know the game and let's throw them on their toes completely again. And I think this was a great way to kind of... They've been they probably thought they were coming back to a two-tribe game uh, of eight people to interact with. So I thought it was it was a really good choice to, have, to not only split them up to the three tribes, but to make them so small just to see, okay, now if you're really an all-star, this is how you have to adjust your game, see if you can get to the end again. A lot of people ask me, at what point did the producers decide they wanted to have three tribes? And to me, the, the answer is twofold. It seems pretty obvious. Well, if you have to split up the alliances and you want Lex, Tom, and Ethan, you need three tribes. And also, a, a three-tribe setup is an excellent way to get two extra people in the cast. I mean, they'd never have a, an 18-person cast before. So just as a greedy way to get more all-stars into the show. So that's the main thing. They just had to split up the alliances. You have an alliance of three, Lex, Tom, and Ethan, who is maybe the most ironclad alliance ever. They had to be set up, uh, set apart, 
And then this follows up where people ask me, well, why wasn't Kelly Wigglesworth put in the cast? Because it was the Toggy Four. And again, to me, the answer to that's pretty obvious too. Well, because there was only three tribes. Like, you cast Kelly on there, all of a sudden someone else has a Toggy Alliance member. Unless you put her with Sue, then it would just be a fun little dynamic. But yeah, you can't have a four-person alliance on the show because there's only three tribes. So, sorry, yes. Kelly, you were the least memorable of the Toggy Four. She could be on her own yeah. tribe. She was. She was on the not yeah, cast on her tribe. Own she was the one that sat at home. Yes. Well, I don't actually. I don't know. The first challenge was about rowing, so she might have just been eliminated here. There. <laughs> ben, ben, bench winner, Mike. Bench winner. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, do you guys want to get into the first episode? I think we've gone pretty much an hour here, just on preamble. Yeah, I figured we'd go. Well, let's do it. We, we'd go there, but yeah. So episode one, and I have to say, right off the bat, you know. Can I say one thing, please? Oh, my God. Please. This is an important quote. This is a very poignant quote. You'll appreciate this one. This is what I wrote in my in my all star uh, survivor all stars commentary on Survivor Central the night before the premiere of all stars, because I could tell something was funky with this cast. I'm like, everyone wasn't happy. I could sense this was going to be a really disappointing season. Jesus Christ. Wake me when it's over. Listen to this quote. You will appreciate this. It's kind of sad when you listen to it. This is what I wrote. I wrote, this is a biggie for me. I hope that if a player finishes worse this season than they did the last time, that they won't be remembered for what happened in All-Stars. I hope that they will be remembered for their original performance instead. And if they finish better this time, I hope that they will be remembered for their All-Star performance. Basically, what I'm, in try- what I'm trying to say here is that I hope it turns out to be win-win for all the players to have come back and played Survivor again. Because if it is, it will encourage the producers to plan more and more All-Star seasons, provided that the alumni are all excited about doing it. So I just hope it all comes off well, because this season has the potential to be by far the biggest one ever. And then I added this part, which is the sad part. Assuming that in six months we don't have a fan base screaming nonsense like, well, Richard Hatch was overrated, I guess he wasn't good at all. Or, Sesternino sucks at Survivor, why did we think he used to be good at this in the first place? If that doesn't happen, then it should rock. And unfortunately, so much for that, your is, dreams. that is exactly what happened, and I knew it was going to happen. And you can see right now why I hate All Stars so much. <laughs> All right, so let's get into episode one. Oh. Wake okay, up episode <laughs> one. So, what's fun is, as I said earlier, I feel like there's a good level of you know the the, the beginning is kind of this. You've got like the the Panamanian you know, military or whatever, like we've closed off the airspace and we've got the, the, the security going. And I, not like, you know, Americans watching the show are like super impressed with the Panamanian armed forces. I mean, and that, that's not the point, but like <laughs> just, it, it, again, it's this fact that I feel like this is when survivor has hit its total stride as far as pacing and things going. And we've talked about it before. Survivor needs an element of cheese to it. Yes. And I feel like for oh, yeah. better or for worse, this is like a super cheesy intro where we've got like, you know, armed escort with guns, which I think was legit. They were closing the airspace like there's all that stuff. But just the fact that they're showing it and just the way they did, you know, with the oh, we've got the second bogey coming up on the water. And, you know, the thing like that was freaking perfect. Like this whole intro with Jeff and Jeff on the uh, in the helicopter basically saying below me, you know, and it, it, these are the, the, the some of the greatest survivors to ever play the game. And she and, you know, like the, these things are going on and like it's just so good. Like this yeah. whole sequence is so good. It's survivor porn. It's exactly what you talked about. This is like this is the greatest and most cheesiest opening they've ever had to a season. To the point that they're getting, you know, they're getting armed guards flying them in like they're military prisoners or like military, you know, VIPs. It's just hilarious. I love I love the opening to this season. 
Though I don't know how I would feel being a contestant sitting in a boat with a man with a gun just standing next yeah. to me. Down, 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 faster, down, faster. Down, down. <laughs> rapido, rapido. <laughs> ah, the the Panamanian version of of our of our African man. Um, yeah, it. You know what's fun is that you kind of you know they they do the fun camera stuff at the beginning where like you see the tribe names because like the boats kind of had a canopy with the uh with the tribe names and the colors on it and so you're only seeing like small glimpses you know and even though you're the cast had been revealed online and we had already dissected this cast you're still like the show has started right like it's after the Super Bowl you're like oh shit here comes Survivor All Stars and then like you're trying to get a glimpse of these people and then they're kind of kind of doing the camera angles where they're tilting down a little bit and then you see like Saboka's boat and you see the tie-dye you know and you're like oh my god oh my god oh (laughs) and I gotta say I love the fact that they didn't have them meet up before they dispersed them to their camps the fact that the boats just dropped them off at their camps and sent them off because as we as we'll see in the challenge it led to so many great moments of finding out who they were working with. And I'm sure we, there were many, many talks amongst all of them of who they thought was on there and who they hoped wasn't on there. Mm-hmm. Right. If you, those of you who have the Survivor All-Star DVD, this is the first of many, and Mario and I have already talked about this on previous podcasts. There are three sets of commentaries on the Survivor All-Star DVDs. Um, the first four episodes are commentated by the first four boots. Uh, Tina, Rob C, uh, Rudy, and Jenna Maraska. And then there's a little bit of a gap. And then there's a middle commentaries, which is nominated by the four boots in a row around. So which was uh, Lex and Kathy and Sheehan and Alicia. And then the final couple episodes are commentated by the final four, Rob, Amber, um, Rupert, Rupert and Jenna. So there are varying degrees of commentary. And I find commentary on things to be, usually quite dry but the rob c jenna rudy and tina commentary we've already talked about it it is so good (laughs) you have to watch it and what's funny is that rob rob says several times in here cesar nino says i i literally thought everybody was out there you know and i I don't you know he i mean these are things going through your head i mean something that sort of leads to this whole pregame alliance thing is that you know usually on seasons of survivor They'll put people together and then they'll split them up into tribes when they get to the beach. But since they wanted this whole secrecy and they didn't want the other survivors to know exactly who was out there, you know, Shapira, when they were on their planes traveling over to Panama and getting ready for the game, hung out with Shapira. They saw each other before the game started and all they saw was them, which leads to more alliance building before the game starts within Shapira. But I mean, that's the sacrifice they had to make for this opening. One thing I love about the opening is we get the great shot with Jeff holding onto the helicopter where they almost fling him off and it banks to the side. It banks, yeah. Yeah, I love any shot with Jeff hanging onto something and then it banks. And it happens in a couple of the early Survivor seasons, and I think this is the most drastic one where he's on the outside of that helicopter and then it banks. I'm like, holy shit, he's just hanging on there. Jeff Probst- after, that, after that, they were like, all right, just put me on the mountain. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Jeff Probst in vehicles, it's kind of like he, he's got two two modes. One is he looks super badass, like when they're banking the, the helicopter. And the other one is, I'm going to jet ski this thing to, to final tribal council. Or like go through the fucking subway and shit. He suddenly, suddenly becomes coach and jet skis all the way to New York. <laughs> all right. All right. So this is where we go into the opening theme and the opening credits of Survivor All-Stars. And I cannot say enough about 
the the theme song of Survivor All Stars, the whole opening, because and again, this is what Survivor All Stars or uh, historians is all about, paying respect to the history of Survivor, and that All Stars does that too, and that they they incorporate every theme song into yes. the main theme song, yeah. and I love that, and that's such a not a thing Survivor would do in later seasons nowadays, where oh that we will pay tribute to every other season by showing parts of it, like. I just love that that was their instinct to show every to include every theme song into one, and it's so cool. And and it's I, I, especially when I listened to the theme song the other day, the, the Australia yubbing part. I love the Australia part, the didgeridoo and everything. Mm-hmm. I just think that's so cool. It's one of my favorite theme songs. The didgeridoo is in there. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and they have they have some of the images too. From what I remember, you have the the bleeding crocodile's tooth, and I think you have the lion in there briefly. So I think. I mean, I think the one thing that All Stars really has going for it as a season is that it really pays a loving homage to the to the seven seasons before it. It really was a season to say, let's honor this fantastic show. Whereas later All Star seasons are more so like, all right, people are here, let's do it. Yep. I mean that that intro. It's it's one of my favorite. Um, you know, it's it's, it's a it, there's a rash of really good intros. Um, you know, controversially, my favorite Survivor intro, just the music-wise, is Vanuatu, which I know people really don't agree with, but I love it because it's so frantic and energetic. But this Survivor All-Star intro is so good because it's got, you know, you, you can hear the violin the playing for Survivor Pearl Islands. You can hear the didgeridoo. You can hear the the chanting for various seasons like Africa and Marquesas uh, and, and, and Amazon with the weird sort of chant that goes on in there. You can hear every single theme in this in this theme and it, it's just it's just love is what mm-hmm. it is like mm-hmm. you watch that intro and i mean i could watch that intro all day it's just so lovingly great yeah and I'll, again I'll, i will take my fair share at, of pot shots at all stars during this podcast during the next three episodes but the producers again they did everything they could to make sure the season would be fantastic would be exactly what the fans wanted so i can't fault the producers at all i mean it's absolutely astounding how good the first 10 minutes of all stars are and not only that, not only do we get the fun intro and Jeff banking on on the thing and a, and a, and a great intro, then we get there and and what do we start the game out there? We get it start the game out with with introductions, Mario. Introductions. Yes, oh, oh. oh, do I love the intros? And the one thing I wish they'd bring back more than anything on Survivor. Just tell us who these people are at the start and give a little shot of what they are like in real life. And again, you don't need to do that on All Stars because unless you're a moron, you know who these people are. Well, I mean, they, and they didn't they didn't do shots in real life. They just showed them like getting out and having, you know, just a, an yeah. island glamour shot. But I mean, it was still like, you know, the Shapira tribe, which will always wear red, includes mm-hmm. and it said their name and what season they were on, and if they were a winner, it said that. It, I mean, it didn't give all the places, like, you know, Rob Mariano, a millionth place, Survivor Marquesas. You know, it, but, you know, it's like it said, you know, Jenna Marasco, the winner of Survivor Amazon, and it was so good. I mean, it, it, what it is is, as you said, Mike, it's an homage. Yeah. And an even more of an homage, they finish all the introductions, they get to the beach, and what's the very first sound you hear in the episode, and I didn't realize this until I watched it yesterday, it's Kathy's laugh, one of my all-time favorite Survivor sounds. The first thing you hear is ha 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 ha. Yeah, listen for that next time. It's the very first sound you hear from from any of the players. Here's an interesting thing, and this is a, a name that I'm going to say, and I'm and and I'm for the rest of this uh, of this season, I'm probably not going to say many positive things about her. But an early 
early confessional in, in episode one with a moment of real clarity goes to Alicia, who basically says, this game is going to be weird because we already know each other. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be weird to see how this plays out. A really odd moment of clarity. And, you know, it's something that I totally glossed over at the time. I was like, well, yeah, they know each other. They're, they're all stars. They've seen each other. They've hung. But like now that we know the implications of the season and just, you know, the fact that, you know, if you know each other, the game is totally different going in. It's a really, really clairvoyant uh, confessional. And, and it was very jarring to me. See, I, I kind of disagree with that because I think Alicia has always been a very good speaker. I just like the way she enunciates and she, phrases things. She is great at confessionals. I'm not saying she's not great at confessionals, but That's Alicia true. is a terrible survivor player. And by <laughs> terrible, I mean fucking terrible, Mario. And you cannot convince me otherwise. And I'm going to have lots of evidence to back this up. Uh, oh, really? Oh, yes, I will. <laughs> so, 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 like, the thing is, is that Alicia is going to do a lot of boneheaded stuff in Survivor All Stars. And so, and I'm I'm going to be very quick to point it out, but it, Alicia is a great confessional giver. There are a lot of great confessional givers. One person who I thought really improved from season to season, Colby, is, I mean, I don't know if it's like the new acting career, but his confessionals are so, I, I found a newfound love for Colby's confessionals. I think it's mostly his word choice. He just yeah. makes the weirdest choices of words in his confessional, but he had... In my opinion, he has the most improved confessional award from season to season. I disagree. I loved, I, I loved, I, I loved him, him in Australia. Australia. <laughs> I thought I thought he was fine in Australia, but he's. I feel like he's more eloquent, or he just uses odder words. Uh, I mean, I have to watch back. The only the only big one I remember is "I ain't no Hershey bar," which is fantastic on its own. But it, it feels like him and Rupert kind of have the same delivery of everything they say has such weight to it it feels like it's taken from a Hemingway novel and I think that really comes to light in this season specifically well yeah Colby's just over dramatic but a lot of the time he's kind of sarcastic too so it's yeah yeah like, his, his like, sar- when you talk about Cal like this guy couldn't fish a rubber ducky out of a bathtub yeah like, I just read a little stuff like that <laughs> I, I think I think though what the, something that I, I guess I will say Mike is he's a one-liner factory in yeah. Australia like and the thing is, is that he he's very well spoken and you can tell he's playing with the cameras and he's got a lot of one-liners I think his one-liners disappear in All Stars and he's just a little bit more philosophical with his stuff wait this uh, season or Heroes versus Villains <laughs> wow with I mean this one. The, okay I I, th- I thought he was funny all the way through this one. I th- well, he's funny, but like I think he's he's a little more poignant in this one. And then in yeah. Heroes versus Villains, he's just whatever. But like, so, when he's po- is he poignant when he's talking about the two hundred fifty pound gay fisherman? Well, the whole Richard <laughs> Hatch stuff is a whole thing in and of itself that mm-hmm. we'll we'll get there. But uh, yeah. again, Alicia with a really good confessional, and again, the I think what's funny is that even though it's great, because I mean Rob C gets a gets one of the early confessionals. I can't wait to start wheeling and dealing and all that sort of stuff. But like Rob Mariano with the nobody trusts anybody, you hear? Like he's got that <laughs> smile, that kind of half Rob M smile that we now know just a ton of. I mean, you know, his impact is being felt early. So fringe player, big impact. One thing I really jumped out, I mean, you guys have both kind of touched on this when I was watching the first episode. Every single person in this cast is funny. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing, to a different extent. Like, you don't think of Sue Hawk as being funny, but she is kind of funny. She is funny. Oh, her. yeah. Alicia, Amber, Amber even makes some good comments in some of this stuff. I mean, it's just it's just a, a bounty of riches of people that are fun to listen to talk. And again, I'm watching Richard Hatch and just rolling at some of his confessionals how funny he is. 
And that's the thing. You don't think of him as a comedian. You don't think of Colby as a comedian. But like these guys, they're competing who can get the best soundbite of the season. So it's really refreshing to watch all these fun and funny and interesting people, which and something we'll talk about more down the road is that there's so many more character scenes in All-Stars than we're used to. There's almost no strategy in this season. It's just all character scenes. Character, character, character. Like, you don't get anything where they talk for 20 minutes about splitting a vote, about who they're going to backstab. It's just, it's really different when you watch it now, and it's fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, especially when the strategy was so, unfortunately, cut and dry in these early Mm -hmm. episodes. It was get rid of the winners, get rid of the notorious players, that they didn't really need to focus on that. Again, it's it's only until episode five, which I feel is like the game changer of the season, when there's this long extended sequence about who to vote out. In those first few episodes, it's more of kind of going through the motions. And then it's always, they, I mean, from what I remember with some of these episodes, they, you know, a lot of the traditional episodes, they show the tribe coming back from tribal council and the fallout that happens in camp. Doesn't really happen a lot in these early episodes no. of All-Stars. No, yeah. That that is a definite modern survivor thing uh, to show that that tribal council fallout. Uh, to tell you the truth, though, the tribal council fallout is something I actually sort of enjoy, just because mm-hmm. you know it, again, it's it's more reactionary stuff. It's people dealing with something, which is stuff that I like. I mean, you know, we we start here at Shapiro, which is you know sort of why we get you know Rob M and, and Alicia with these things. But you know, they're they're high fiving each other on the beach and. Uh, you know, then then they find it, and and again, here's something that that I totally just missed. Uh, you know, just when when I think back on All Stars, but of course it was a big deal at the time. Is is just the fact that Jeff Probst makes a big deal out of it. Is the fact that they gave them like what uh, a knife? Yeah, nothing, and and that's it. Yeah, you know, a so like a, bu- a, <laughs> a bucket, a pot. <laughs> so like the fact that you know they've got this thing to water, and the water looks like milk, and you know they they're they're just like oh crap, you know we have nothing. So you know it was fun because. You know, this is going to be sort of a theme in these first couple episodes. And, uh, you know, we, we, we get to Shapiro and we get Sue with the, I'm the first one out because I'm the most outspoken. <laughs> do it I right, babe. Of, uh, I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> do it right, babe. Got to do it right, compare- babe. I sort of compare it to uh, those those sports movie sequels of the 80s and 90s when, like, in the first one, the underdog team has won the championship and they're like, what do we do for the sequel? And it's like, you have to make the sports team find themselves at the bottom again, whether it's like another team comes along or they break up or everything. And that's what I kind of feel like the beginning of All-Stars is like in terms of, well, they think they're fantastic at the game. We're going to leave them there with nothing and see what happens. Yep. And of course, to bring this down a little bit, that we're getting a little too much praise here on All-Stars. I, I got to bring it down a little bit. Not, you know, there's nothing I love more than seeing Rob Cesternino's enthusiasm that he's going to get a chance to play Survivor oh, again. God, yeah. Nothing that I love more than that. <laughs> You know, Poor maybe like all time, <laughs> my all time best survivor friend. Just watching his heart about to be broken on TV. I love like that. you, Roll oh, Rob C. <laughs> you are you are not going to be wheeling and dealing. I'm telling you right now. No, we're we, spinning your wheels. <laughs> but then we get over to Saboga, our good guy tribe. We get over there and we get Rudy with gold right off the bat when they're <laughs> looking for things and they're like, Rudy, can you read this map? <laughs> hey, what do I look like, Magellan? What the fuck, Rudy? <laughs> just like who pulls out the name Magellan? I know. Like, Columbus, they got Magellan. <laughs> Rudy, I'm watching this and I'm like, God damn it, Rudy is still the greatest survivor character ever. He kills in so many scenes. And what's funny is I kind of alternate as I'm watching the season between saying Rudy is the fucking greatest character ever, or I say or Richard is the greatest character yeah. ever. Because they're so funny. It's and that's so good. 
That Magellan quote is maybe my all-time most underrated favorite Rudy comment. It's just it comes out of nowhere. Here's here's the thing though, <laughs> I, I, and I think this is because Rudy and Richard are good TV. I mean, we knew that going in. That's that's not a surprise. But Rudy and Richard, I feel probably are the two people going into this game even more than like Tina and some of the other winners and stuff like that. Like Richard, you know, I mean, we're gonna talk about this later. Richard knew he had no shot in this thing. Like Richard just was like, I'm gonna go out there and just have some freaking fun. And he had no pressure on him. No. He had nothing. He just went out there and said, I'm going to have a good time. And he did. Yeah. And he Rudy and, yeah. and, and Rudy is, you know, Rudy just plays how Rudy plays, right? He's just going to go out there. He's going to try his hardest. You know, he's going he's gonna to say quips, even though he doesn't know he's going to say quips. And, you know, he's, he's just like, I'm just going to form an alliance and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do this. <laughs> it's like Rudy is just going to do his thing, right? And so... You, like he's not thinking some higher calling or so he has no pressure on him too. And so it's these two people that are just in their element, just no pressure. They're just, you know, just dealing out the, the, the great TV from, from, from day one. And also I want to point out the new strategy from Rupert. Yes. I was <laughs> going to say old Rupert. <laughs> is that from, I mean, is he going dirty rotten scoundrels for that? Or is he just, is he mispronouncing it? I don't know what Ethan's Rupert? doing there. Rupert. Is Rupert, Rupert well, listen, listen. banging his pots? <laughs> This is Ethan 2.0. He doesn't give a shit about where anyone else's name is. Ethan 2.0. That's right. I should point out I trademarked that name. That's what I called him on my column every week. And then Jenna stole my comment. That's what I, I, I gave him that nickname. Ethan 2.0. But I love it because Rupert says something to the camera because we just saw Rupert in Pearl Islands. And we're like, yeah. we're so excited to see him again. God, we love Rupert. And he's just like, I'm just going to sit back and, and be the worker bee. New strategy for a new game. And I'm like. So basically, your Pearl Island strategy, Rupert? <laughs> yeah. The exact same. I'm going to do the exact same thing. <laughs> I'm going to fish and shit. <laughs> I'm going to poke things with a stick. <laughs> he already has shelter ideas in his head. Don't worry. Yes. Well, By the way, Jay, I have to say your Rudy impression, you have his accent down perfectly. Well, I'm from this part of the country. Yeah. Please do that, that imitation as often as you can over the next two episodes because it's going to crack me up every time. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's on right, Saboga yeah. that we discover the uh, the water supply, too, right? The contaminated water supply that apparently puts you in a coma. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, Jerry and Jenna. <laughs> it's got brain parasites. Puts you in a coma. Like, they find the water, and Rudy just starts drinking. They're like, no, 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 Rudy. And it's just like, hey, bitch, get out of my face. <laughs> edit all the clips of times of me laughing out of this podcast because it's like Rudy's here. <laughs> shit. I wish he was here. We could we could bait him like Rob Z baits him on, yeah. the, on the commentary. Did you get that machete sharp, Rudy? Is this what is this? Is this non queer queer talking to me over here? <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. So what do we got? We got we already have Tina setting up that she's going to be the first boot with her. Whenever I kick the bucket oh, one God. day, I'm going to go out with a casket. Of life experiences, sister. For, for those of you who watch a Survivor episode or a narrative, that is what we call a GG confessional. <laughs> <laughs> Explain what GG means. GG means good game in game, gamer's terms. It's what you say at the end of a game, usually when you're conceding defeat. Yes. And so, you know, whenever, you know, it, again, there are telltale signs. One of them is it's not about the money for me. When someone says it's not about the money for, for me, they're gone. GG, good game, you're out. And one of them, one of, one of them says, I'm not interested in winning or, you know, this is not about, you know, the million dollars for me. Whenever they sort of go astray from 
I'm, you know, anything other than I'm here to win, that's issues. And when Tina's like, I'm, you know, it's not really about the winning. It's about life experiences. It's like, well, Tina, you're about to have one. And she does that thing where she replaces when for whenever, which she does all the time. Whenever I kick the bucket one day. <laughs> all right. Uh, what do we got here? This is where Jenna Lewis finally first drops the strategy that the winners are dead meat. She's like, Tina and Ethan, it's so easy to get rid of them. Done. Gone. So right off the bat, we can realize, uh-oh, this is going to be tough if you like Survivor winners. Yeah. yeah. You know, but, but the thing is, is that at the time, you sort of, you're like, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, you, did, you didn't think of it as like good TV or, or this, that, you, you know, Jenna was like, hey, they won. Let's get them out of here. And I was kind of like, yeah, that's a good strategy. Yeah. yeah that's, and that's, re- that's, that's the reason why it works is that it was a sound stra- that all the non winners were like, yeah, that that makes complete sense. I mean, I think I still think there is some validity to the argument of bringing a winner to the end just because we didn't see it with Sandra. But there's a good chance with that type of jury that they wouldn't vote for. A previous winner but they were all focused on let's let's get to the end let's get rid of these winners because once you kind of go along with the strategy of these are easy targets then that buys you nine twelve more days yeah i forget who first said that that if everybody's talking about a different first boot and that's not you it sounds like a great idea and they just go with it and again jenna gets a lot of crap for this for starting this all winners have to go but she was not the only one out there with that mentality and i hate to defend jenna lewis but like just because she got the most confessionals out there everyone else kind of went along with it too so it's not just a one person thing this is just what survivor was these guys were celebrities they got their money they got their fame get them out of here so someone else can get it this time and that's yeah. Fortunately, how it worked. That's why it's good that Jenna Lewis is on this season because Jenna Lewis is going to be our de facto villain of the season. Um, you know, as as heated as the Boston Robin Lex stuff is going to get, neither of them are like the biggest villain of the season. That's just like some emotional brouhaha that sort of happens within here. Jenna Lewis is just consistently kind of catty this whole season. And even though this strategy is totally legit and sound, and as you said, Mario, I think everybody was thinking this. Every single person not being a winner or Rob C was yeah. thinking, get out the winner of the tribe. I don't, I don't think this is something unique to Jenna Lewis. It's nice that Jenna Lewis is the one to break it to us, the viewers, because she's going to be our villain for the rest of the time. So it's good. It's good that we get Jenna on there, you know, kind of just dropping down the hammer right at the beginning. Yeah. And again, I don't even know if it was so much that the winners had a million dollars and they didn't. I always thought it was more, these guys are famous. We're not, it's our turn to be famous. Yeah. That's, that's what I always thought it would came down to. Yeah, that well, and, and yeah. the respect too. The respect of you know they they want you know, yeah, you know it's like hey they won so they, they're they're awesome and and we didn't win and we're not as awesome. It doesn't hurt that she also dated a, a former winner as well. That's also really that very good point. Okay, one <laughs> one thing I want to point out here that always jumps out at me at All Stars and it really jumped out at me on this viewing is Jerry and I want to talk about Jerry for a second. Every single thing that Jerry says or does in All Stars. Is very, you can see it, it's very measured on her face. When she says something, she phrases it very delicately. And it's really interesting because you can see the pain of how much it caused Jerry's real life to be the villain in Australia. And it's yeah. really interesting to watch this in, in All Stars. That It's funny because I did this when I wrote one of my stories. I did the same thing that every single thing Jerry would do the second time around would be around not being the villain. She doesn't want to be hated this time around. And you can see it in this episode. It, it's as clear as day when you watch that just the way she phrases things like, Oh, I'm on a tribe with a woman who hates me, like with Tina. And 
if you think about Australia from Jerry's point of view, which is weird because nobody ever does. Everyone just thinks of it as the way it was presented on TV with Colby and Tina as the good guys. If you look at it from Jerry's point of view, she really got backstabbed by Colby. Tina just nitpicked her and, and talked down to her the entire game. I mean, Jerry just got trashed. Then she comes off of Australia thinking that the Colby was the villain because he backstabbed her. And then she finds out, wait, I'm the villain when she watches the episodes. Like, Jerry must have had so much pain from, from a survivor of the Australian Outback to the point my heart just goes out to her when I watch All-Stars because you can see it. And every single thing she does is just an attempt to get the audience to empathize with her, to like her, to see that she has a hard time with this game sometimes. It's just, it's kind of sad to watch Jerry's storyline in this one, I think. Which is funny because my, my takeaway from Jerry this second time, you know, and sort of looking a little bit forward and, and through Jerry's story arc is I felt that Jerry just wasn't very impactful this season. However, but, however, on a, on a rewatch, you look through there, and I mean, Jerry, in one of her first confessionals here, she's just like, I'm going to try a new strategy to keep my damn mouth shut. And, you know, she's basically trying to lay this out. And it's like, Jerry is amazing because she has a, you know, a plan to be nicer. And I think Mario's got a, got a point here. She's trying to not be the villain very, you know, so much. And I, I think it works. Yeah. And so you look at it and you're like, Jerry accomplished a lot. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was rarely a target. And I think. I think the only she only really started speaking out when we got to the shelter debacle, and I think that was more so out of frustration and extreme starvation and extreme thirst and extreme challenge loss than anything. And the fact that she was right. Like, Rupert was a fucking idiot. Yeah. yeah. She, she was right. You know, when people come back, you know, as we say, every season of Survivor is different, you know, and, and every situation is different. That's why a lot of times you can't do a lot of cross comparing in seasons because, you know, just the location, the people, you know, everything that's going on makes a season unique. And it's, it's kind of hard to take things from one to the other. So somebody can be really bad one season. They can come back and be very good in another season. It's just, you know, the way the ball bounces sometimes or just the way the other people are, are, uh, are there, but there are a few people that you can see, doing tweaks or doing sort of improvements to themselves through Boston Rob, obviously his, you know, he's kind of had a same game plan all the way through, but you can see him learning and like incorporating things that he's learned in some of his subsequent seasons. And I think Jerry with her three plays through this game, you could see her progression. Like Jerry looked at what she did the last time and said, I need to make improvements. And, you know, she, I think she definitely, looked at you know how she came across an Australian outback and she's like I am going to make this different this time and even when she comes back for heroes versus villains she's going to be even more in this one direction I think Jerry does an admirable job each time she comes back yeah it's I there's there's a deleted scene on the DVD we'll probably talk more about this later where the the players have to write letters to each other and this mm-hmm. is later in the season but <clears throat> when Jerry writes her letter to Mogo Mogo she basically it comes down to hey guys I just want to meet you guys I'm big fans and really she's like I just really want someone to come up and hug me because I have no friends in this game and it's it's absolutely one of the saddest things I've ever seen on Survivor and I can't look at Jerry as a villain ever again because my heart just goes out to her in this season you could just see every inch of pain on her face it's horrible yeah, I mean, there's your her reputation took a considerable hit. I, for one, was kind of surprised that she decided to return for All Stars. I mean, I feel like she kind of had to, but I don't know if I was in her situation and I just came from a a season a couple of years ago where I was called the biggest bitch in America and basically publicly shamed for three months. I don't I don't know how I would feel about getting the chance to go back on that show. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's an interesting ethical issue. I mean, I loved, I've never talked to Jerry. I've never had any interaction with her over the years, but I would, I would really like to interview her and ask her about the subject because it's, I think you get some really interesting answers. Yeah, more, more and more as we do these historian podcasts, I mean, I have very little interest in, in interacting with, uh, you know, survivors or any sort of things like that. But, you know, if I, if I had to, choose someone that I'd like to interview, I think more and more of my answer is I'd just love to talk with Jerry and just, you know, just pick her brain on just all of this stuff because she has just got to be a fountain of stuff, you know, experiences, (laughs) just, just all this sort of stuff has just got to, you know, be up there. And I mean, it it is just fascinating. And, uh, you know, the, these early confessionals in Saboga and just the way she goes, but speaking of pain and face and all that sort of stuff, let's go to Moga Moga. Moga Moga. (laughs) Right off the bat, this is, I just, keeping notes as I was watching the episode, I wrote, I love how Richard keeps calling Colby honey. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because this was kind of a well known thing at the time that Richard used to write a lot of articles about Survivor after the first season, second season. And he would constantly talk about how he loved Colby. This, this was a well known thing that Richard had the hots for Colby. So it's hilarious to see them on a tribe and Rich is openly, openly lusting for him and calling him honey right there to his face, which is, again, if you knew Survivor, if you followed it, you knew this was already a thing, that Richard was in hog heaven, you know, next to his little dream boy every minute of the day. And I just have to laugh that, you know, Colby last season had Jerry drooling over his hot body, who he hated. He couldn't stand Jerry. And now he's got Richard. He's got 260 pounds of hatch all over him. So, like, pick your poison, Colby. So, it's like, Colby must have had an interesting experience, first with Jerry and then Richard, both kind of leading, drooling over him. Two things. We, we can do all these things. First thing is, is that, you know, when we get to Shapira, you see them, like, finding their water and then trying to get a shelter going, you know, and you could see, like, Rob climbing trees and, you know, cutting down fronds and stuff like that. But you see all this sort of, like, interpersonal, like, they're fighting over like how to do the shelter, right? Like, you know, Sue and Tom and Rob and everybody is like, Oh, what's going on? And then he gets Saboga where like, they're trying to eat totally green bananas and, you know, getting one liners and this sort of stuff going on. But then we get to Mogo Mogo and like, they're just workmen like building the shelter. You know, what do you expect from a tribe with Colby and Lex and Kathy and stuff like that? Like they're just kind of going for it. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then the second thing is, is that it gets this fun scene where like, then they go off and then some plotting happens where like, you know, uh, you know, the girls are talking and then, you know, like Hatch is like, hey, they're plotting, honey, girl power, boy power <laughs> sort of stuff. But then like I love that scene where like they all just like sort of air out their dirty laundry to each other and they're like, OK, they think we're plotting. We think we're plotting. Why don't we just take a time out and build the shelter? And they all look around and then finally Colby just breaks like this little silence with I don't trust any of you people, right? And yeah. Kathy's just like, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I think that scene is so precious. It's just like this genuine moment where they're just like, oh my God. <laughs> well, I think it's really, it's really indicative of them being a really strong, well-knit group as well. Like you said before, Jay, they're kind of, they're kind of been designated as like the thinking man's yep. tribe. So of course they're the first tribe to be shown scheming against each other, but then to have them kind of come together and, Aaron. And I think it also speaks to how they knew each other beforehand. You know, they didn't yeah. feel like they were complete strangers and they had to go off and scheme on their own. They could kind of just, you know, everyone's been through this game before. They could air out the dirty laundry. And it's a, that scene in particular, it's a strategy scene that's or a character scene that's actually disguised as a strategy scene. You think they're talking strategy, but really it's just to show that all these people are thinking way too fast and moving way too far ahead of themselves. and They have to start all over again. So it's just I, it's a fun little scene. And to bring it down a bit, just as you talked about Rob C., we get a nice little confessional from Lex, who's basically, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't think about this game every single day. And 
I can't wait to come back and you know have a nice positive experience with this game. Olex. 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 It's 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 not going to go good. And then we get Rich being naked. <laughs> yeah. Again, I love Richard. He's absolutely my favorite thing about All Stars in that he just doesn't give a crap. I mean, he gives less of a shit than Bruce gives in Panama. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, rim shot. Thank you. But yeah, so uh, Richard just doesn't care. Like he knows he's dead meat. He knows this is a silly thing to have people coming back and play again when they've already won. So. Like, he just absolutely sits there and trolls this entire season. He's like, I don't care. He goes, I'm not going to do anything. I'll just sit on this log. Like, it's just, I just love watching. And I, we'll talk more about this. There's way more scenes than just this first one. But, yeah, it's just, for me, it's the one saving grace is, of All-Stars is watching Richard just troll the entire concept because it's so silly. Oh, are you naked? <laughs> Wouldn't that be shocking? Mm. <laughs> an interesting start. Yeah, like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> I do love, I love Sheehan. In comparison to Richard's nudity, I feel like Shan is like the perfect straight man to Richard. Every time they're in a scene together, I just like watching Shan's face react. Yeah. <laughs> she is a good reactor. I will give you that. Again, I joked it would have been great if Heidi had been there to react, but Shan reacts just as well as anybody. Yep. Although, does Richard have a dress on? What is the deal with this little skirt? Yeah. I, <laughs> I, in, in the geek community today, they do sell these like utility, like, they're almost like kilts, you know, which is is a skirt, but it's got, you know, these utility kilts with all these pockets. And so I'm like, dude, is it a utility kilt? But like, it doesn't have a, a shit ton of pockets. So I'm just like, what what is that outfit choice there, Richard? Maybe maybe Crystal left a skirt behind on the beach and he just like, picked one up. <laughs> hey, Richard. <laughs> Would you like this skirt? <laughs> But yeah, it's great. Several times during the challenges, you see Richard just whip off that skirt and get ready for the challenge. And he literally gets it off in like one second. Yeah, so then I don't know if it's Velcro. What the hell is that thing? He's got like the one thing. And in, in, I love the fact like in the first challenge when Richard takes off the skirt, like, you know, Jenna's reaction. I think it's a funny 115 moment or whatever. But like, yeah. I love the fact that like they swim out there and then he takes the skirt off like on the starting platform. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Then you have to, like, go back and get the skirt later, right? Like, why didn't you take the skirt off before you swam out all the way to the challenge? Anyway, let, let, let's move on from that. And then we get a bunch of fire fails, which is, you know, again, it's cool and uncool in the same A lot of people are like, oh, this is so slow. But it's like, hey, these guys, you know, they're not fire experts and they gave them nothing. So, you know, fun to watch people try to start fire for an hour. Yeah, this was a tough physical season. I think a lot of people kind of forget that. And I'd mm-hmm. even forgotten that until I watched it. I'm like, man, they were really suffering out there. Yeah, they didn't have yeah. water those first few days. Although there Sue has the... Go ahead. Uh, so there's a really interesting quote by Alicia, actually, a confessional where she says, the first tribe to get fire and water is going to be the tribe that goes the farthest. And even though it takes an episode, the first tribe to make fire they show is Shapira. So I thought that's mm-hmm. like a really interesting little tidbit that the editors put in, even though it might not have, they might not have actually realized it. All right, I know Jay wants to do Sue's beaver poop quote. <laughs> Where, yeah, she's like, oh, got to drink the water. You know, and then she's just like, I lived in Canada for six years, and I drank the water right out of the lake. So, you know, no filter system, nothing. So so the way I see it is I drank enough beaver poop in my life that my body can handle whatever I may be going there, eh? Yeah, I love the A at the end. <laughs> oh, Sue is the best. <laughs> well, Jay is killing with the impressions. He's already got oh Sue God. and Rudy now. Yeah, well... Mm-hmm. And I love it, you know, because she's just like, you know, and they're just like, they're building each and Rob's just like, you drank the water, you know, whatever. And so it's just like, oh, yeah, I had three coconuts, babe. <laughs> well, then Tom has that great quote. He's like, 
if she drank it, I don't want to leave her half dead because it'll be a fucking mess. Yeah, I love the <laughs> fact that, like, it's not the fact that there's, like, a half-dead person on camp. It's the fact that it's going to be a mess. He's very practical. He's a farmer. He knows. It's all about the cleanup. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Sue, Sue is gone, and he's, she's drinking the water and stuff like that. And it's fun in the if you listen to the commentary. Rudy's just like, yeah, water's fine. Whatever. <laughs> But yeah, this is where this is where we go back, and Rudy's wants to drink it, right? Yeah, and, and Rudy's drinking it, and you know he's he, he's saying things like, "I drank dirtier water in Nam." <laughs> yeah, that's where Ethan's like, right, "What you were in Nam?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then Ethan says the whole like, "This is whole classic military thing," where like he's just like, "Were you scared? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was I scared? Yeah, for a whole year." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. This is where uh, we have this big long scene where yeah, Rudy doesn't he wants to drink the water, and what's it? Rupert says like. We can be like Rudy and drink the water, but none of us want to die. <laughs> as extreme as Rupert always, or Rupert always is. Yes. All right, yeah. so, okay, okay, here we go. Now we have something of content, of actual substance to talk about. This is where we come up with the first alliance of the season. And Rudy I kind of, and Rupert. Yeah, Rudy and Rupert, which, again, I'm going to go really nerdy here. And if you watch pro wrestling in the 1980s, this is like Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man teaming up. This is the two biggest fan favorites in Survivor history teaming up. The Mega form, Powers. Yeah, to form the Mega Powers fan favorite alliance. Like, this was absolutely astounding that Rudy and Rupert could be an alliance together. I kind of even forgot about that alliance until I watched it yesterday. I remember like, fan tarting so hard about that. Yeah, and that, that's not, this is something that cannot be overstated. How excited the fan base was at the time for that alliance. Oh, my God. You oh, know, my, yeah. They were, they were just making the fire, and Ru- Rupert's sitting there, and he's exhausted or whatever, and then Ru- Rudy just says, I think you and me, uh, we should have an alliance there. <laughs> he's, the first time he saw me, all tight-eyed and hippie, he looked right through it. He wants to be my buddy. <laughs> and he's just like, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think uh, Tina and Ethan, they're, uh, they're good buddies. <laughs> not good buddies enough, apparently. No, no, not, but, you know, they were going, and well, I love the simplicity simplicity of how Rupert and Rudy both refer to his alliance as being buddies. They both use that term terminology. You know, we're gonna it, be buddies. Well, what's funny is that they're on the same plane, right? Like their 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 level of survivor strategy is just you know it's just all you got to do is say you're in alliance with me and that's good. We're good. And you know, with Rupert, it's just like I just need an alliance and that's it. You know, and like that's it. You know, that but those guys are perfect for each other in that sense that you know they. They, they want to be honor and not betray anyone. And, and hey, they found each other. And, you know, they could have tried to find more. But, you know, step one step at a time, right? Like, they found each other. Well, it's, it's funny when I watched that season that they didn't kind of team up with Tina at that point. Because she's the same way. She's like, I want the good people to win. And we're going to do honor. Like, why wouldn't Tina and Rudy have ended up together? It just astounds me that those two didn't team up at some point. Winners. Well, I do But I... I, I don't know how much of the anti-winner thing Rudy was. I mean, I understand that's the reason, but it just kind of baffles me when I see that at the time that Rudy and Tina seemed like kind of a natural. And then Rupert right there. So that should be a three. It, just, I, it was I, shocking to me that didn't happen. Again, it's because Rudy's base knowledge of this game is so limited, right? Like, you know, yeah. he, he even says in the in the commentary with, with Sestronino and, and Tina, he, you know, he basically says, you know, them first boots, you know, you don't even need a reason. Someone just says the name and you go. So, like, you know, he and Rupert look hooked up for an alliance and so it was probably jenna lewis running her mouth and saying we need to get tina out yeah and you know then he's just like fine tina you know what i mean so like he's not doing a lot of this next level strategy strategizing you know he's he's just he's with he's with he's found an alliance he's got rupert 
And then probably a bunch of shouting was going on for Tina. Yeah. And he's like, all right, that's it. So, I mean, you're sitting here going like they'd be a natural pair. Yeah, I think that's a fault. And I'm not saying Tina didn't approach him, but if she did, she didn't really cement it home because I think you're right. Like, Tina would have been good for them, but, well. Yeah, on paper, if you read my all-star prediction column, that's exactly what I predicted would happen, that Tina, Ethan, and Rupert would kind of be like the ethical trio, and they'd have Rudy in there. And I figured Jerry and and Jenna would be toast on that tribe. That's just really not what happened. It's, It's kind of weird to me that it didn't work out the way I thought it would. I mean, if you're, if you're someone like Rudy and you have two people approaching you, one person is someone you didn't necessarily get along with in your season, but it's someone you know and that you talk to on a regular basis, and the other person is someone you don't really know and know has won the game before, as, as shady as the first person may be, but that person. Yeah. It's true. All right. Well, well it's back to Shapira here, I think. Back to Shapira. And, and again, this is the whole, like... The, We've gone one night, and uh, they, they go the next morning, and Rob is saying, the shelter is no good. And Alicia's like, we need to get more, we need to get fire, because fire is more important, because then we can have water. And Rob says, all aspects of the shelter need to be differently, and they're going, and, and they're arguing. And it, it's this age-old battle, fire versus shelter. And it, it's so funny, because nowadays we see returnees, and they usually have things in the bag. And it's like, this all-stars, they gave them nothing. They gave them a, a machete and a pot, and like they are struggling. I mean, this is a struggle. Yeah, yeah. Who couldn't see a Boston Rob and Alicia argument breaking out at some yeah. point? <laughs> and it's, yeah, day two, let alone. At some point in there, I know Alicia does a very subtle finger wag. If you look too, so it's a nice little callback. I like how Boston Rob. Boston Rob doesn't like to say the word season. He loves to say the word survivor. So, uh-huh. like, at the in the morning, he's like, "Oh, this is the worst night I've ever had on a survivor ever." <laughs> <laughs> Good. And then, and then, like on the next episode, he's like, "This is the hottest challenge on any of the survivors." And like, it's so weird to think about, like, just if you, if you think about the survivors, people instead of a season, and just place it like that, how weird those confessionals sound. <laughs> it's super interesting. But then, you know, we get a good, we get a good home run from Tom. You know, he's just, I've never heard so much crybaby titty sucking him. <laughs> Tom is great. <laughs> and again, it's just, again, the season is just comedians all battling for the best soundbite. And again, it's, it's hard to pick you where the funniest was because Tom will come in and blow everybody else away every so often. Uh, and then, you know, Alicia's just like, well, who made Rob the master? And Amber is a little in-pocket girl. And I'm like, how about before the season started, Alicia? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, this is where Rob and Amber make their alliance, right? Yeah, for the first time ever, right? Yep, as, the and the, as the reason he says, num- reason numero uno is because, quote, she's beautiful. <laughs> there you, well, that's why he picked Sarah, too. So, I mean, Rob does have a type. Look, yeah, he, his, said, he, he kept it classy. He said she's beautiful. I mean, you know, calling her slamming and having a smoking ass, that's later. <laughs> yes. But the first time, she's beautiful. Like, well done, Rob. You're, you're being courteous here. Well, that's the thing with, with Sarah. It was the exact same thing. You know, she's young. She's kind of quiet. He probably thinks he can impose her will on his will on her. So as much as he had the hots for Amber, I'm sure it was the, at the start it was the exact same thing as Sarah. Like, if I get Amber with me, now I have two votes. That's exactly how we approached Sarah, too. I trust her. I don't think she's going to screw me. Yep. And then the love music starts, which is so nice. It's good. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you will, as with this podcast goes along, you'll see the amount of respect I have for the survivor turning into The Bachelor for a season. <laughs> how much I love that. And then we have to have Mogo Mogo failing at fire. It's fun to see them all failing at fire. But then, uh, you know, I, I love that, like, they're all going there and there's there's Rich just like, you know, I could probably do it. I'm not going to, though. 
well, you you know the story behind Richard and the matches, right? I mean, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know if a lot of viewer uh, listeners know this, but there's a rumor. I don't know if it was ever confirmed. Have you ever heard this confirmed, or is it just a rumor? Uh, Richard just was on uh, uh, Dom and Colin doing a uh, a retrospective, and you know he he was being classic Richard in the in this thing because this came up. Like, did you actually smuggle in matches? And Richard's like, that's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that's the rumor that Richard had a can of, or a case or something of matches shoved up his ass in a plastic bag or something, and that when the producers weren't looking, he extracted them and was able to light a fire, and it was a big controversy. In fact, I remember preseason before All Stars, some of the rumors that were coming out about All Stars, people were saying that one of the contestants was busted for smuggling in matches, and it was supposed to be a big plot point in the season, but it was never actually shown in an episode. They kind of cut it all out. But that, that's what Richard's referring to here. Where he says, yeah, I could start fire anytime I wanted to. Because he actually could if he wanted to. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing, though, is setting up. This is setting up Richard's GG down the line. like oh, yeah. You know, and everything like that. Because basically everyone in Mogomogo has got some sort of confessional. You get the fun thing where, like, they're all working. And, you know, like, Richard's just like, yeah, and I'm busy. And he's just sitting there. You know, which is, like, classic Richard. But, like, you get a couple confessionals from Lex and Sheehan and stuff like that. And you, you see, like, Kathy and Jenna talking. And, you know, they're all basically like, I can't wait to vote out Richard. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like... Oh, Richard, you're so done. But he, you see him and he knows he's done. Like the whole thing is like we get this nice little segment from Mogomogo where everyone's like, yeah, Richard's going to go. It's going to be great. Yeah, he's like the prize deer. It's deer season. Everybody's got a gun. They all want to be the one who voted out Richard. Everybody wants – again, this was, this was what Survivor was at that point. Richard Hatch was the biggest thing ever in Survivor. He was the legend. Whoever voted Richard out was going to be remembered forever. So they all wanted that prize deer on their wall. They all wanted to be the one to fire that shot. And Richard knew this. This was no surprise to Richard where he's just sitting there. He's like – yeah, oh, I'm freaking busy, Lex. I'll get back. You know, I'll get to you when I get. A <laughs> He's chance. just sitting there. God, it's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. like, Richard, again, this whole four, first four episodes is just Richard doing these cocky little quotes. And there's another one here where he says, uh, "They might think I'm cocky and arrogant and think I'll last the whole game." Huh? Imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> which is just <laughs> such a Richard thing to say. It's good. Okay, I got a I got a rant. Here's my first rant here. Oh boy. Here we go. Lex has a quote right here where he says. Richard's been going on for three years that he's the best this game has ever seen. He's like, yeah, he was only the best when he was playing against a bunch of sheep. Yeah. And again, that's, there's a couple things that'll set me off when I hear it. And, and this is one because I hear this all the time. I I'm, hope we talked about this in the Borneo podcast. If not, we were horrible people. That the Borneo cast were a bunch of idiots and sheep and Richard was the only one who was playing. And we have to rebut that a million times if possible because that is absolutely not the case. Every single person in Borneo was playing. They were just all playing different strategies. And this is because, I I hate to say this because it should be so obvious, but it's not, that they were literally inventing the game as it was being played. No one knew what the best strategy was. There was a million ways to play that game. So everyone was playing. Everyone had a strategy. They all thought the way Richard doing was unethical and the audience would not like it. They didn't want to be the person who played like that on national TV. It's not a case that they were all sheep. It's just that Richard was willing to cross that line of ethics faster than anybody else was. And again, blur the line, cross it, however you want to say it. So I cannot, I cannot handle this uh, argument. It drives me crazy. Every time I hear it, that Richard only won because he was the only smart one and everyone else was an idiot. And that is absolutely not true. And I, I think that's a huge disservice to 
not only Richard, but to all the uh, Survivor players in Borneo. They were all really smart, interesting people playing different strategies. If anything, you can say that Borneo is a tougher game to play just because it's so unpredictable. Yeah. Like when you get to Australia and to Africa and stuff like that, people have an idea of what Survivor is and they're falling into more predictable patterns. Whereas Richard had to navigate something where people are being very unpredictable. That has <clears> got to <throat> be stressful as hell. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the first, the first, uh, the second, second and third season specifically kind of cemented that pattern of win as many challenges as you can pre-merge, have your tribe stick together post-merge, have an alliance within that alliance, get to the end. Uh, so, it, I would agree. If anything, seasons like Australia and Africa didn't necessarily have sheep, but they may have had easier ways to get to the end. Lex, for instance, had. You know, there were there were a couple of key critical moves he had to make, but I would say he arguably might have had an easier time to get to the final four than Richard did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rich, yeah, Richard played a very clean game where he betrayed almost nobody and made almost no enemies in a season that was really, you know, fraught with these landmines where you could really screw up and do something horrible because no one had ever seen Survivor before. So I cannot handle people, you know, tarnishing Richard Wynn because. It was because no one else knew how to play Survivor yet. They all knew how to play Survivor. There was 16 ways to play Survivor. Just his happened to win, so that became what Survivor was. Yep. In the next scene here, we get the Tribal Council here for, or not the Tribal Council, sorry, the tree mail for um, uh, the first challenge. And uh, I, I love this scene because Rob kills it. And by Rob, <laughs> I mean both. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's great because, like, you know, then they get the tree mail at Shapira, right? And then Sue's not with the group and she's like laying around. She's like, speak up, babe. <laughs> Say hello to her. You know? And then so Rob is, is saying that Rob Mariano has the, has the, uh, the mail and he's, you know, Rob C has a fun, you know, bad news and this news and all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, you know, I have, we have another poll to sleep on. This is the bad news. And, you know, then Rob M reads the thing and you know, he gets to the part where he goes, in a sign of unity. And then he kind of looks over and goes, <laughs> unity. He's kind of looking over at Sue, which is, which is fantastic. And then at the end, it says, you know, you will face the man of flame. And then Sister Nino. Yeah. Oh, hey, that man must be of, Richard Hatch. Yeah. <laughs> man of flame. That must be Richard Hatch. <laughs> and, you know, he got in a lot of trouble for that at the time, too. I don't know if you know this, but. Sestrin, you know, said that, and I remember a lot of the online columnists said that, you know, Rob's being homophobic, he shouldn't make comments like that on national TV, so I was like, are you kidding me? That was a good joke. That was an excellent setup. I mean, he came up with that right on the fly. I love that joke, but yeah, Rob actually got some crap for that on the message boards at the time. Good joke, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. And we get our first Amber confessional right before the challenge, so only like half half an episode in, we finally get a, a confessional from our winner about the challenge. Is it something about the challenge is going to be so good? No, she hasn't eaten anything yet, so unfortunately she won't be able to say that. <laughs> yes, we don't know her stance on rice yet. <laughs> I'm, 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 sure, I'm sure she said something very nice, you know, just like, oh, we're about to go to a challenge. It's going to be fun. I hope we win. <laughs> She's yeah. like, why the fuck am I on All-Stars? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great confessional. Like, not sure why I'm here. I guess I'll play. Yeah. Wow, I guess Helen said no. Uh <laughs> So then they get, and then we get, again, Again, we, we've talked about Survivor porn, blah, blah, blah. But then, of course, we get the whole thing. We're, come on in, Shapira. Oh, God. This is maybe my all-time favorite Survivor moment in the first eight seasons. So, like, Jeff calls in Shapira, and it's them, and they're all standing there like, hi, how you guys doing? And he's just like, want to know who you're playing against? And they're all like, yeah. And then Moga Moga comes in. <laughs> and we get, we, get, we get a fun, rich thing, you know, where he's like, who are these people? Who cares? 
Little bye-byes. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Who are they? Bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And then, you know, Jeff, of course, with the thing that we all know, because, you know, you know, fun irony is is good, where he's like, well, two tribes is good. It's not enough. Come on in, Saboga. And then they come in, and everyone's like, Rupert! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're so excited to see Rupert. And then the good moment that you have that you talked about in the Funny 115, where, like, they come in, and there's Jerry, and Jerry gets the big smile, and you see Colby's face. <laughs> yeah, that's the greatest. <laughs> what's I funny, don't know what he was, what was he expecting, though? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's, what's funny is that it stands out, because my wife has not read the Funny 115. She's not a Mario Lanza one, Funny 115 writer, and she was watching this episode with me, and she's just like, holy shit, Colby's face! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's great. Again, that whole scene, just the music, the build. This is, this is the the epitome of survivor porn. This is, I wrote in my notes here, the show really has made no missteps yet. This is the perfect all-stars up to this moment. This is absolutely everything you could want in a season, that reveal. And again, enough, enough, we haven't made enough of the fact that this is the first time they've ever had three tribes on Survivor. Yep. That had never been happened before. I never, when I was coming up with all my all-star stories, I never even once considered you might have three tribes in the season. That just absolutely blew my mind that that would happen. I mean, just, it just, it's such a cool little moment. Everyone's reaction to, they, again, these guys appreciate the history. They know the show. They know these characters. They all appreciate this moment. It's just really well done. It's so good. This, this whole scene is good. And yeah. then we get to see our fish humping idol. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's it's human being and environment, Mike. Jesus, get it right. Yeah, perv. Get off our webs, our uh, podcast. <laughs> Listen, I'm reaching. I'm 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 reaching out to the pervs that are listeners. They'll they'll get what I'm they'll get what I'm talking about. We're very big in prisons. Lots of sex offenders listen to the show. Like um, Richard Hatch. <laughs> I love it though. Yeah, the fish humping idol. But but you know we do get the fun thing where like you know then they're they're talking about how they have no supplies and then you know it's just like water that we can't drink and then you know Sue's like Sue's like I drank some and then it's like is that wise Rudy? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then everyone everyone I love that you know then yeah is it because yeah and you know everyone's laughing because they're like oh that Rudy yeah it's a double the double punchline Jeff's like Navy Seal how wise is that is that all right yeah yeah. So was it wise because it's the other tribe? Yeah. <laughs> Rudy gets the double joke out of one word. He gets the double joke, and I love that everyone laughs because it, it, it's, again, this whole community, right, where they know each other, right, but they also know the TV personalities as well. And it's the fact that Rudy has just killed them all with something. Like, they're just like, oh, my God, that's great. We just got Rudied. That's what they all felt like. It's it's like it's like they all get to fan out for a second. Like and that's why this scene is so cool because even though they're all friends and they know that they're in this elite group of survivor contestants, like they all are like just geeking out when you know everyone comes out and they're seeing who they're actually playing against and then like Rudy does Rudy things. Like, you know, it's just kind of cool. And when they all see Sheanne, you know, it's a big moment. It's like oh, yeah, absolutely. the biggest survivor ever. Sheanne's here. They're like, "Oh, oh Sheanne. Sh- oh, Sheanne. Sh- sh- you? Yes. Look, <laughs> Look, 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 Shinjo, this is not a merge, okay? So don't even, don't even, all right? All right, I got to say here that I mentioned before that what I love about All-Stars at the start is that so much, so much history and what the fans want has all been thrown into the season, so much reverence for Survivor legacy. Even this challenge, this is the first challenge in Survivor history. They're redoing it again. I mean, this is, it's so cool that the producers know, I mean, they make nods to Survivor history all over the place in the season. And that's one other one. It's, they just do the first step, the first challenge over again. It's, it means very standard of old Survivor things where it's basically like, you know, quest for fire, get fire, bring fire to a place. And usually it, ha- it involves some cumbersome trek or, you know, uh, lifting something heavy. And this one kind of had all of it. It was like they had a, 
uh, a floating raft of, of fire walk or whatever. And then they had to, you know, get it to shore and then push it under a little obstacle course. And the thing was heavy as hell. Like, I mean, this is, this is standard first episode, you know, first challenge stuff. And that's great. You know what the greatest thing about this challenge was? There's no goddamn puzzle at the end. Also that. <laughs> yes. Cross Although, I, I, I wish there was a little bit of uh, sandbag tossing at the end personally. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Although, uh, 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 one of the guys who interviewed for historians, George Hands, he, he wrote me a bunch of jokes to make about this episode. And he has a great one here that he said, you know, when they get there, you see the big, you know, the big Burning Man statue. That's the, the symbol of the challenge at the end, the big Burning Man, they the light on fire. He's like, it looks exactly like the Blair Witch stick figure. So it's a little callback to the greatest challenge in Survivor history, the Blair Witch challenge. The greatest challenge in Survivor ever? It has nothing to do with the kite flying challenge in Marquesas. No, Blair Witch, come on. I don't know. Uh, kite flying did reward us with a Snickers bar, and I think we know where we're going with that one. So I don't know. <laughs> it's too hot to handle. <laughs> oh. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So we get to the challenge. They start. Richard Hatch disrobes one of my favorite funny 115 moments where Richard pulls off the skirt. Jenna right behind him turns around, sees his naked ass, and her shoulders just sag. And it's one of the funniest little visuals if you're not looking, if you're looking for it. And again, I wrote in my notes here, Richard Hatch just got naked. Survivor All-Stars is officially on. Okay, and we don't need to say much about the challenge. I'm trying to figure out places where we can sort of fast forward. Um, so this challenge just happens. Shapira wins it. Mogo Mogo comes in second. Saboga comes in last. One thing I will say, though, right off the bat, Jenna Lewis, worst challenge competitor ever. <laughs> I was about to say, she doesn't, she, doesn't, she doesn't tug the raft at all. She's leaning on the she's raft. She's on the, the raft, and she's like, get me to the walk. It's like, oh, my God, Jenna Lewis, paddle. What are you doing? Like, ugh. Yeah, they get, they get to the tough nut, and then she just screams, I can't get the torch out. Ethan just like stands up, shoves the torch yeah, out of its slot. And she's yelling she's at him, like, you know, get the thing, Ethan! You know? <laughs> and it's like, oh, Jenna, you're terrible. Alright, anything else we need to talk about? Can we get to the end of this challenge here? Yeah, let's get well, to I the just end. thought, the person who, act- interestingly enough, I found this out from the commentary, the person who blows this challenge for Saboga, despite Jenna Lewis not participating, the person who blows it is actually Rupert, uh, because he dives down and he actually tries to unclip the wrong tribe's uh, of the, the long tribe of raft. So I thought it was really interesting that as much as Jenna Lewis is really doing nothing, Rupert was the one to make the initial mistake that really put them behind. Yeah, he puts them behind. Yeah, I get that. But, like, it, it just was the paddle to shore. Like, Saboga was the last to unclip their raft, but you can see, like, they, they could have... They, they end up, like, not even getting to shore with their raft. Yeah. You know, and the other tribes had finished. Like, you know, they, they got just distanced in the water. You know, whereas, like, maybe they wouldn't make up that time that, that Rupert lost them, but, like, they just lost time paddling to shore, which I think was partially Jenna Lewis, mainly Jenna Lewis, and I think that a lot of it was just Rudy and something, like, you know, they just didn't have the strength. Yeah, I mean, Rudy's two years slower. Yeah, and the, and the thing you have to remember is I, I think Ethan struggles in some of these water challenges early, and, and it's not because Ethan sucks. It's just that Ethan was on Survivor Africa where they had, like, no water <laughs> challenges, right? So, Well, the yeah, next episode, he's the big star in the water, so not every challenge. Not every challenge, but, I mean, you know, it, <clears throat> it's how it goes. I mean, I think Rupert's strong in the water, and, you know, Ethan's just all right, but I don't, I don't think Jerry's particularly good in the water, and Jenna's terrible, and Rudy's old, and, and Tina's not particularly great in the water. So it's like, eh, just not a good tribe for this. By the way, do you know, just a little trivia note, that Tina went to college on a swimming scholarship? Just want to throw that out there. I just learned that the other day. Tina is amazing. <laughs> you, you know my feelings on Tina. I'm not yeah. trying to put Tina down, but it's like Tina, 
not the best in these challenges. <laughs> no, not, not always. Not the worst. All right, there's an interesting moment at the end of the challenge when, uh, you know, Shapira's won and Mogo Mogo is, comes in second. This is something I just noticed when I watched it this time. If you watch the end of the challenge, they come and they're celebrating. Richard decides to celebrate his win by standing bare-ass naked in front of the Shapiras. He walks over, thrusts his arms into the air, and just basically exposes himself to the entire tribe. And what's funny is he's standing there taunting the Shapiras. And uh, if you notice, if you look, Rob Mariano, Boston Rob, kind of waves his arm and says, get out of here. And then Sue does the same thing. And if my interpretation of that scene is that is Richard taunting Sue already in the first episode. He's saying, look, I'm naked. I'm standing in front of you and celebrating. And he knows that she hates him naked. So he's just kind of taunting her. But if you watch the, the episode again, watch that little reaction shot at the end where Richard goes over, exposes himself to Sue. And she's like, get out of here, Richard. And it's that becomes much more poignant later on in the season. Much more poignant for a different reason. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Less, less comical the second, or maybe about the eighth time. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So they split up this two-part idol, the, the fish-humping idol. I guess they have to take a break. And, uh, <laughs> and they go back to camp. I do like that, you know, again, it's this whole first episode you know, it was a little longer runtime, right? No, I think it was only an hour. It was only an hour. Yeah, there, oh. it wasn't two hours. It oh just, god! It just these felt, episodes seem longer because they're all characters. It felt no so strategy. good, but just the fact that, like, again, it's it's breaking from the norm. Like the they go to commercial after the after the challenge, and we come back to the winning tribe, Shapira, and we get them just celebrating their win, which which is just fun, right? Like then mm-hmm. we'll eventually get to Saboga. Uh, you know, in Mogo Mogo, or as I'm, I'm sure that's Panamanian for second place. So, like, you know, <laughs> they, you know, we we get a, a nice thing where they're talking it, and that's great. But then we have to get to Saboga, and we have to, you know, get the winners out, right, Jenna? Yeah. Well, yeah, and Jerry's even again to point out that Jenna isn't the only one with this mentality. Jerry even says it'll be great because they don't know what it's like, and that's yep. the thing. It's retribution. Like they have not felt pain. It's only fair if they have to deal with it too. So. Again, we can't just crap on Jenna for this. Everyone felt like this. Yeah. Though you know, Jenna was Jenna was the one that they show being very uh, very upfront with Ethan about the fact that you're you, it's your Tina. Yep, absolutely. And then what is it? Uh, here's the theme of the entire season from Jenna Lewis, where she says, "Nobody out here wants to reward another winner. Sorry, guys, it's our game now. Get the hell off our playing field." And that. Our playing field, that is the key right there to that sentence, that the people who didn't win felt like this is it's God's right that one of them has to win this time, and new winner has to be crowned. So that's the key right there. Get the hell off of our playing field. The winners aren't even considered cast members to these other people. These are just cannon fodder we have to get rid of first. Yep. You know, and, and you do get this thing. You, know, you talked about how, like, Tina should hook up with Rudy and Rupert. Because their, their thing, I mean, we get this thing in the water where, like, Ethan's talking to Rupert and, you know, saying, you know, hey, you know, I'll give you my word. You saw me in Africa. I played the same way. You know, they're they're using these past seasons mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, and Rupert's like, I know and I like that. But, I mean, I just think that the fact that they were like, they won, they need to get out of the game. It just overrode everything. Everything. Because yeah. I think that I think that Rupert and Rudy should have gone with Ethan and with with uh, Tina because they would have probably done a little bit more damage, but it's like Jenna Lewis is like, no, it's, it's get out the winners. And I think that that's such an easy thing to rally around. Yeah. And, and you know, that just trumped all. And I, I'm a, 
I'm a big fan of Ethan and All Stars. I'm going to be raving about him. Oh yeah, he's oh, yeah. had some great moments in the season. And right here, there's a great speech where he's talking to Rupert, and he says, uh, "Jenna and Jerry don't play the way you play." Yeah. I love that speech. That's such a cool speech, and I love the way Ethan delivers that so sincerely. And it didn't work, but that was the right move. I mean, I just love the way Ethan approached that. Yeah, Ethan's one of my. He's one of my definitely in the top list of my players, just because in. These first episodes of All Stars, you're, you're able to see what he acts like when his back is up against the wall because yes. we we never saw that in Africa, and this is why one of the reasons why we wanted to see a season like All Stars. We wanted to see if these players are in different situations, how are they going to react? And Ethan was luckily able to stick around to become the last winner, and he showed a lot of good game prowess. He showed a lot of rational sense when he was talking, especially at this tribal council. Uh, he he shows a lot of prowess for someone who kind of was a little under the radar, a little bit of the nice guy in his first season. He really showed that he can, he can play this game. He was just dealt an unfortunate hand with an yeah. unfortunate ex-girlfriend. <laughs> and he's just more interesting when his back's to the wall, to be honest. 100% mm-hmm. agree with that. Ethan is super interesting in all this stuff. And, you know, like you said, you know, Survivor, the ball bounces different ways. Different games are, are different this. It's not like someone needs to improve on their position or, you know, it's not like, hey, this place is better than this place or, or this or that. The other thing, it's just if you're a, if you're good at this game, it will show. Mm-hmm. And Ethan, I think, showed that he is good at this game. In fact, I would use the same argument for Ethan that I've used for Boston Rob over the years is that I love this guy. He's so fascinating when he is an underdog, when he's not in the majority. And I would use that same thing. Boston Rob, I think, turns into kind of an asshole when he's in the majority. When he's in the minority, when his back's to the wall, he's really fascinating watching him wheel and deal. And I would say Ethan is so much more interesting when his back's to the wall because he has to get kind of scrappy and he gets kind of pissy, which is kind of fun. Yep. You know, and, and I, we get to Tribal Council. Uh, cool thing. And I love that, like, Jeff, like, describes Tribal Council when they're getting there. Like, you know, he's just like, uh, you know, welcome to Tribal Council. It's in the... It's a big tree house in the middle of a thing. Uh, you know, hope, hope the, you know, you do not want to make this climb. It's like, thank you for the description, Jeff. That was. <laughs> well, he didn't, he, he wasn't narrating the challenge. He has to yeah. get his voice in there somewhere. <laughs> he has to get his voice in there somewhere. But like, I think this is one of the things like they knew, you know, it's kind of a risk to give the survivors nothing but a machete and say, go. Cause you know, they're not going to have water for a while. And they didn't have water for the first three days or whatever, but then it starts to downpour. Cause they knew the rainy season was coming. And stuff like that. And it's a cool shot at Tribal Council. Like the rain's coming and they are just literally just drinking the rain. And Jeff's trying to ask them questions and shit. Yeah. And there's just like, can you hold on for a second? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, let's get to Tina being eliminated here. Because I have some, a couple things I have to say about this. Tina was eliminated. <laughs> Very good point. Best color man in the business. Thanks, Jay. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> I've heard a lot of criticism over the years that a, Tina could have done anything to save herself, and that B, Tina should have fought harder to, you know, save her skin. She did. I, that's the thing. Just because you didn't see it in the episode doesn't mean she fought to save herself. I mean, did you watch Blood versus Water? Tina is the scrappiest little troublemaker and troll ever. Like, if her back is to the wall, she's going to be doing everything. So, again, to, to think that she just sat there and took her medicine because that's what was going to happen just because you didn't see it on TV. That just ignores everything we know about Tina from any other season she's played. In fact, there's been a rumor over the years, and I think I'm not the only one who's heard this, I'm sure, that this tribal council lasted forever because Tina just filibustered and argued the entire night and they just cut it all out of the episode. Have you heard that story as well? She says it. She says so uh, in the in the commentary. 
Okay, yeah, that she just argued. I mean, all night she was there putting up the fight of her life, even though she knew it was she was toast. But just because she's Tina, so I got to defend. I mean, I'm Tina is my all time favorite player, so it's an obviously no surprise coming from me. I'm going to defend her, but one of the other things that drives me crazy that people have this belief that she just gave up and did nothing because you didn't see it in the episode. I'm like, well. I mean, she was toast. She had no chance. So eventually they have to cut out all the stuff that's extraneous. But anything we know about Tina, you know she's going to fight. That's just what she does. She's a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think her boot is definitely uh, it's kind of an all-innocence-is-lost type of symbol of, oh, the writing is on the wall for Ethan, and it might as well be for people like Jenna Maraska and Hatch and Rob Cesarino because they are going to be leaving the playing field very soon. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to, to, to skip to a little bit of episode two, and I know we're going a little ahead and whatnot, but I guess to, to go ahead, this then goes to, again, bringing it in a, on a down thing. Tina's boot, I think, is summed up great in great words by Lex uh, in a confessional he has in episode two, which is, which is fun because Lex gives us a really true statement, and also it's fun foreshadowing for Lex, where Lex is like, the fact that Tina was the first to go sets the tone for the rest of the season that this is that this is just business this is what we're here for and it's like on the one hand you're right mike it's the loss of innocence we have just voted out tina the winner and this is the this is the tone that the season's going on and also lex it's just business yeah it's i don't know it's uh, again i'm the big tina fan i have a hard time watching the end of the end of this episode although i will say that because she came back later in Blood vs. Water and had such a fantastic showing, that it makes All-Stars a little easier for me to swallow now. I mean, for years, just knowing that this was Tina's last appearance, so many fans out there thought she was overrated, she just gave up without a fight, that just drove me insane. I'm a little more at peace with this now that Tina played again later and got a better chance to redeem herself, so it's not as hard for me to watch now. It shouldn't be hard for you, though, when you look at, like, the people that go home in Survivor All-Stars and just the fact that they were all so dead set on getting out the winners. You know, in, in subsequent returnee seasons, a lot of these returnees don't go home right away because they manage to stay. And I think people kind of learned this sort of, like, pettiness and cutthroatedness that happened in All-Stars, and they sort of didn't like that vibe. But within All-Stars itself, yeah, Tina goes, it's the first week, it's the first boot. Yeah, you can be super sad, but it's like she's going to get followed by like major monster characters and players and stuff like that. So in the grand scheme of things, you can be, you know, you know, anyone who's like Tina sucks at Survivor. She was the first out of all stars. It's like, yeah, she was followed summarily by, you know, Richard Hatch and Rob Sesternino and, you know, other giants of the game. Like, you know, it it just they they weren't letting they weren't going to let him play this time. So it just so happened that she was first. Yeah, well, well, I was sad to see her go. I mean, it was no surprise. You knew the winners were yep, dead meat. Absolutely. What I was more concerned about, and this is something I said right back at the earlier part of the podcast, I was so concerned what the fan base was going to do, start talking crap about these people that were once amazing Survivor legends and winners, and people were going to start saying, well, maybe they weren't so good after all, which I was very worried about that. I've always been concerned with the history of Survivor, how it's remembered. And way back before there was the Survivor historians, I was kind of planning this in my head. And so that's what really made it difficult for me to watch. I'm like, I know this fan base. I know there's going to be a lot of people out there who don't really appreciate how this show works and are just going to talk crap about Tina now. So I was worried about that. And it is exactly what happened. She took a huge hit, just like a lot of them did. I mean, Hatch and Sesternino, there were big chunks of the fan base for years that would say, well, those guys weren't really that good, I guess, because they never did anything at All-Stars. So that's what I was always more concerned about. Well, well now that uh, Tina's voted out, Mario, we'll see you for Vanuatu. 
thanks, <laughs> yes. thanks for coming in. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take it from here. <laughs> By the way, okay, here's a funny little story. This is what it was like to be a, a Survivor writer back in the day. Like, I wrote this column, I had a lot of readers, and I tried to avoid spoilers. I hated spoilers with a passion. I wanted nothing to do with spoilers. So, I write all these predictions about All-Stars, and I say, it's going to be a great season, I'm going to like it no matter what, even if my favorites go home. And so some guy emails me right before the first episode. So you're going to keep watching even if Tina gets voted out first? I'm like, of course, I'll still love the show. He goes, just I just want to get that in writing. You'll still love the season even if Tina is voted out first tomorrow. And this is why it sucks to be an online writer. Like, I have a pretty good idea now Tina might be voted out first tomorrow. It's just little shit like that that drove me insane over the years that people don't realize they're dropping spoilers on you, but they are. So I kind of knew she'd be going home first. So I kind of had a little time to prepare for it. But just little stuff like that is why I eventually had to retire as a writer. Like, I, I can't be – people can't be telling me stuff that's going to happen. I don't want to know what's going to happen. And, and with Tina, I obviously knew because there was all this vibe. People knew that she'd be first, and they were all warning me about it. Okay. We need to get to episode two. And I think that getting through episode two is probably going to take us to our limit for the day. So let's uh, have some fun with it. I uh, – Yeah. Okay. Uh, although, well, I don't know if you wanted to touch really quick on the DVD. There's deleted scenes on the DVD of episode one, and they have the mock tribal council over at Saboga. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so good. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to talk too much about it because it's a deleted scene, and most a lot of people won't have access to ever see it. But Saboga, uh, Shapera does a tribal council where they, they make fun of all the Sabogas and they predict who's going to go home. And it's a really funny scene. And again, if you don't think that Amber or Sue are funny in real life. They really are. Everybody's a comedian in this cast, so it's... I don't know if you, how much you want to get into it, but it's a fun scene to watch if you have the DVD. No, it's, it's, it's good. It, it, watch, watch the secret scenes, because you, you get to see all these fun little character scenes and whatnot, and yes, uh, they, they do... And, and you can tell that this was spurred on by, by, by probably both Rob's probably spurred this on. Rob C. being, you know, the quintessential comedian that he is, but this really sort of smacked a lot of that morning show from Marquesas. Uh-huh. Where you know they were they were doing a lot of the the things, which is of course Boston Rob kind of going going at his element. But basically, Shapira decides to do a mock tribal council, and Rob C puts on I think Alicia's denim like yeah. you know shirt, and he's he's doing his Jeff Probst impersonation, and he's Jeff Probst, and then I think Sue is doubling as both Rudy and Jenna Lewis, and then you know Rob Mariano wants to be Ethan because it's part of his never ending quest to you know cut down Ethan. Ethan, yeah. And then Amber is is Tina and kind of stuffs her bra, <laughs> and and then uh, uh, Big Tom Ali- is Rupert. Big Tom is Big Rupert. Tom is Rupert. He comes yeah. out of the ocean, kind of growls, and 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 then uh, Alicia is Jerry, and she's wanting to jump chocolate over some dude's bod, and you know basically they're just doing impressions, and they're you know Rob's asking him questions, and they're just kind of going through it, and it's just it's just super silly all of it, and uh, you get to see them all just kind of be funny and and they are which is which is pretty good and then you get to see rob snuff i think they vote out jenna lewis or whatever and they snuff her torch and you know sue walks away and flips them off and you know they're all singing the survivor theme it's a really really fun cute scene that's the greatest part that they're all singing the survivor scene as if they're watching it on tv i love that 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 part they're all fans they're all visualizing it how they'd see it on tv Mm -hmm. yeah and if you ever want to see a fantastic jeff probes and impersonation watch rob sister you know he even has like the hands on the knees placement down it's really it's really fun to watch <laughs> i bet this kid's seen his fair share of episodes yeah he's, he's seen a survivor before <laughs> all right we'll go on to episode two in our grand quest to get through at least two episodes on a three-hour podcast oh my god we are so dragging our feet i love it uh, 
The 100th episode. Yes. Yep. And so, uh, you know, they they talked about, you know, how it, it was tough at Trouble Council. And then we get, yeah, this is where Rudy's saying, like, the Vietnam stories and, you know, he's drinking the water. And this is, again, like, you know, the, the theme of the first couple seasons is we don't have anything and we don't have rice. We don't have water. We don't have fire. And, and you know, a big deal was made at the Tribal Council was Jeff's like, yeah, you still have mid fire. We're not giving you fire. And so... They're still, you know, the, the next little bit is just the different tribes, Saboga and Mogomogo and Shapira, you know, just basically collecting rainwater, which is good. And, and, you know, Rudy's telling some story about like he had ice in his drink in Vietnam from some cooler that had like dead bodies in it. And like, you know, like Ethan's like, what? <laughs> Rudy is such a badass. Uh, you know? and, then, By the way, and, 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 and there was some water in the background. And what did it taste like, Mario? It tasted like rot. Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah, it's a great callback to his rot and death quote from Pearl Islands that Rupert says the well water tastes like rot. He's still he's riding the rot high, so he still is. Uh the thing with Rudy, it just he's he's talking about how they drank water with dead bodies in the reservoir. And again, it makes you think I know we all think of Rudy as this fluffy old, you know, cute man with who quotes one liners. I wonder how many people Rudy has killed in real life. That'd be a fun little trivia question. Well he apparently has friends that can that can take care of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, lots. Oh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Oh, Rudy. I'm gonna we'll answer. Get... I'm gonna answer with lots. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If you think Rudy's just a harmless, nice old gentleman, just someday read up on how my, how many how many years he was a Navy SEAL and what a big deal he was and how many people he's probably killed. All right. Uh, what do we got here? I'm just trying to skip through this episode. Rudy, Richard's always walking around naked. Colby says they're all starting to get comfortable with it. That's the spooky part. Uh, uh, we have some nice. Uh, some nice. License pending singing from Shapira as the as the rain falls. Oh, they do Creedence Clearwater. That's right. Yeah, all the rain coming down on Big Tom. <laughs> all right, let's skip ahead to the reward challenge here. Oh, I will. I will say one thing. Uh, okay. They so before the reward challenge, they find the uh, the crate with the three padlocks on it. Yes, and uh, Jenna Maraska, in all of her wisdom, uh, puts up the supposition: Hey, maybe it's an animal. <laughs> it's it's I just have, have this it's, image of like this poor animal just like this ferocious animal locked in this three padlock box that they have to wait like 12 days to unlock here's the thing though and here's why rob mariano is like ultimately good at this game and you know is a good face of survivor is you know they everyone gets this box and like you see mogo mogo right and it's like i love the tribe dynamics here just before we get to the challenge i love the fact that like mogo mogo they're just sitting under in the rain and then they realize, oh, my God, we can drink the rain, right? And they go to Shapira, and they're just singing and having a good old time. But, you know, they get these boxes, right? And Mogo Mogo's just staring at the box. And I don't know what Saboga's doing. But then, like, Shapira, here's Boston Robin. His thing is, let's just break it open. And it's like, I think that they probably could have. Like, you know, Survivor, it's, it's one of those nebulous things where, yeah, they have hard and fast rules. But, like, if you do something, they're probably not going to stop you. Like, they probably yeah. should have just ripped the box open, honestly. Yeah, he's definitely thinking outside the box, literally. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I might have said Pretty Boy Probst to something. <laughs> yes. Pretty Boy Probst. So Pretty Boy, I think Ethan and Probst are both referred yeah. to as Pretty Boy at some point. Yep. Rob, some, Rob some, he was on a mission. He was cutting people down. For some reason, I have this image of Rob at home with, like, this burn book of all <laughs> these, survi- these survivor guys about all mean things written about them, though most of them are Pretty Boy. <laughs> He's like, what, Steve Buscemi and Billy Madison, people to kill? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Glad I called that guy. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yay. Adam Sandler referenced twice on this podcast. I have, I have the whole DVD collection. Oh, my God. <laughs> See, I'm glad. Again, if Paul was here, I'd have to explain who Adam Sandler was. So I love this guy. I love the temp. I love the fact that Paul doesn't know who Adam Sandler is because <laughs> I kind of don't want to know who Adam Sandler is. Anyway, um, so, yeah, you know. Yeah, we get to the challenge, but the whole thing, and, and I've already talked about it a little bit with Lex's, you know, speech afterwards. Is the fact that you know Saboga comes in and Tina's out, and you could see everyone like, "Oh God, yeah, they got Tina out." And then he's like, "Now let's do this really hard challenge." Yep, and this is the one where they just swim. It's like it's like every time you swim out, grab a log, and then you lose it. Uh, cast a team member. What do they call? Yeah. It? Does, did anyone here play sports? I mean, we are like the most unmanly men ever. What do they, do they call them? Like gassers or something like that? Like. Where you have to do, you know, it's like where you have to run, like, you know, of varying distances. Like, you run, like, 10 yards and go back, and then, like, 20 yards and go back. And, you know, you do, like, various yeah, I, things. I played baseball, so I didn't really play sports. So, I, we didn't, we knew, you don't run in baseball. Yeah, well, I don't know what those are. And yeah. I, played, I played Survivor the board game, so <laughs> I don't. There, there's a, there's a, you know, th- those are some, some run things where, like, you know, like on a football field. Like, you know, you start at, like... The, the the end zone line right and then you have to run out to the 10 yard line and then you have to run back and then you have to run to the 20 yard line you know so you have to go varying distances but always kind of run back to one point it's kind yeah, of what this challenge is it's just yeah. like swim out and get the thing then swim out and get another thing and then you know oh. yep and this is the one where Ethan proves to be a badass for the first time this season well this is just you know this is swim out like they you know those those poles or the the bamboo like ladder rungs don't look like to be the heaviest thing ever this is just literally go out there and you know they they have to go out as a tribe and then they can drop somebody out and it's like you know that tribe with rupert being a strong swimmer and like you said tina's not so horrible at swimming like ultimately it's like rudy was having trouble and falling down and stumbling and yeah and, and stuff like that but like you know once they could drop rudy like you know they got significantly better as that went along that, that, that was, was much- so sad to see rudy by the way <laughs> Though as much as a as a superpower as Ethan was, apparently Rudy got injured after in the challenge because Ethan threw one of the steps onto his foot. Yes, I did remember hearing that, yeah. So I don't know if it was Ethan two point maliciously thinking, Oh, here's a way to injure somebody else so I can stay in the game, but who knows with <laughs> Ethan two point Rudy has a broken foot? Great. That's great for me. <laughs> Alright, yeah, so uh, Saboga wins is the one where they, they share all the the flint and everything with everybody. Everybody gets a clue. Yeah, they, blah, they, blah, they, blah. they could win blankets or something dumb that's going to get wet in three seconds. Or, you know, Probst is like, or you can get a clue to your, you, you know, because the, the, the box of rice is, the box is rice and it's got three locks and you're going to win them in, in challenge, win the keys and challenges. And he's like, you can get your first key in your clue, but if you get it, everyone gets it. Please take it because everyone is starving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. So we got that. Everybody gets their stuff and now now we can uh, fast forward a little here because I have to. I have to take. I have to call Rob Sesternino out for something. At the time when I was uh, writing for my column, at the time, Tina, my all-time favorite player, Rob Sesternino, my all-time two favorite player, probably my best friend in the Survivor cast. We talked all the time. Then Rob decides he's going to slam Tina in a confessional right at the start after the challenge here, where he says, "When I saw Tina, I was so happy, excited to see she was gone because I have always thought she's a big phony." And oh my God, have I taken Rob to task over that over the years? I, to this day, I still give him shit about that for insulting my favorite player, and he's apologized over that. He's like, "No, Tina's really cool. You know, we met up after the show and we played check, we played backgammon and stuff. She's really cool." But like, man, did I hate that moment at the time where my 
number two favorite player just bashed on my number one favorite player. Yeah, bad little boy. Yeah, he 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 has that fun thing, and he. It, what's funny is that again, listen to the commentary of those four in the Survivor All Stars DVD because <laughs> when this moment happens, because the the commentary, yeah. it's Tina and Rob C are doing the commentary in there, right? And so Tina's like, "All right, Rob, let's talk about this," you know. <laughs> and what's funny is that Rob is basically like, "Look." I saw you at events before the season started. That's how I knew you. I saw you at things, and you were nice to everybody all the time. And I just sat there and said, no way is, is somebody that nice all the time. And so I thought you were phony because, you know, nobody could be that way. But I've hung out with you a lot since then, you know, obviously when we got voted off and all that stuff and, and just in subsequent events. And so I learned that if you're nice all the time, all the time that's who you are and i'm you know and he apologized and she was like you're so sweet thank you it's fine blah blah and then he was like no and i want to say you know you're so nice for accepting my apology and she's just basically like shut up we're good but like you know it's this fun little moment where like rob c is just like this lady is so full of it and apparently tina's just like the nicest person ever so you know yeah, he's taken a lot of crap about that over the years. I'm not the only one who kind of called him out on that. He's had a lot of people write him angry emails about that over the years, and he's apologized about it many, many times to lots of people. Do not write him any more bad things. Rob is great. Tina's great. We're all going to move on from it. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of me feels like he was also kind of playing into it. I mean, one of the things that we got from Rob Sesternino from his first season is that he knows how to make a great confessional. He knows what to say to make an impact and to have it basically – be shown. So part of me feels like he kind of knew when he was saying this that he was like, oh yeah, this is this is going to be a big statement. I'm talking shit about not only one of the most positively received players of the first seven seasons, but like someone who was just voted out and has no way to defend herself. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one. Yeah. Rob, as funny as he is, can be sometimes mean in his confessionals and sometimes he crosses the line. I mean, it happened more than once in Amazon. Stuff I'm sure he regretted saying and I know this is one he kind of regretted too. It came back to him with from, from a lot of people. Yep. And then, and then, of course, we get, you know, this, this is two, then we get Lex with the, you know, it sets the tone. It's all business this time, which, again, like, remember this quote. Like, we are going to eventually get into Lex and Boston Rob and just stuff that happens later. But Lex is saying, look, it's all business. It's mm-hmm. not personal this time. It's all business. Remember this quote. <laughs> yeah, that will that also will come back to haunt Lex. <laughs> this you know, whole season is people saying things that will come back and haunt them. I, you know, it's the it's the James Miller season. <laughs> yes. oh, Hell good, yeah! Good pull, good pull. Oh my god, no, it, it's tough because you know I, I, you can sort of I guess you can sort of sort of guess where I'm leaning on this whole Boston Rob Lex thing, which is going to be different. And it's like I think Lex is super awesome and all this sort of good stuff about it. But it's like you know Lex is going to say stuff and then things are going to happen and yeah, so. But then we get over to Saboga, and what's funny is that Rupert says this quote here, and this quote really stood out at me as, like, one of the funniest quotes in, like, the first four episodes. Like, all this funny stuff is happening by all these people who are super funny, and yet Rupert just blew me away with the whole, like, you know, because they, they got their pot with their flint, and, you know, everyone can now make a fire with flint. And Rupert's just like, I used to think I was an outdoorsman, and I am. With a lighter. <laughs> I don't know why. That's funny to me. That's super funny. But somehow Saboga, I, I don't know how they're using the flint because they're 
fire erupts into some sort of like pyrotechnic <laughs> display that almost burns Jenna Lewis's hair off. I like she she blows on it and it erupts in her face, which is not unlike her sex video later. <laughs> oh, I believe she was wearing a feather in that one too. She was, yeah. So it just erupts right in her face. Oh, <laughs> uh, we get that, and she has this thing, and then of course, then she has this like super condescending uh, uh, scene where like she's talking with Ethan, just going like, "Yeah, that's right, you're out." <laughs> yeah, you know, Neith, he, he did so great in the challenge, but it doesn't matter because it's all for naught. Yeah. And he, he's just like, yeah, thanks for, oh God, you know, she's just, she's just in her element here. I mean, she's just, you, you can tell that, you know, she's having fun just rubbing it, oh yeah, r- rubbing it in Ethan's face. Just like, yep, we got you. You're done. Her ex-boyfriend, again, we have to point out. Yep. Her ex-boyfriend who won a million dollars and she's just really crowing about the fact that she gets to get him out. I mean, it's just, she is, she is such a bitch in the season and yet it's so great, you know? <laughs> It's tough to say that because a lot of people don't appreciate Jenna in this season. And I admit I don't really appreciate her in this season. But, you know, she's having fun and she's doing exactly what they expected her to do in Borneo. So more power to her. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so one glad thing, she was there. Yeah. One thing I also really like about Saboga making fire is the uh, the dance slash jumping up and down that Rupert does once they actually make fire. I always think it's his own version of the Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity that <laughs> Richard did. He just doesn't have the mobility that Richard did. No, he's just more, yay, we got fire, we got fire. <laughs> and then it's really weird, because I've complimented Mogo Mogo, like, they're so workmanlike, and they're so together, and they're so everything, and then, like, they don't make the fire, because Richard's not helping, right? So, like, you know, they they're, they don't make this fire, and, like, they don't try, and then the rain's coming, and then they don't make the fire, and then they're cold at night, and it's so striking that, like, they just don't get their act together. Yeah, I yeah, don't really I think, know what happened with that. It was like, I don't know. Insane, they, stubborn. Yeah, I think it was a thing of like, I think the the women, specifically Kathy and Cheyenne, wanted to keep going, but Lex kept talking about how the storm was coming, so I guess they eventually just took his word for it, because I guess they'd rather have yeah. everyone be happy and just kind of settle than just keep arguing and not doing anything. I, I, I see that, and I hear that, and I, in one thing, but like, my wife was watching this, and she got like really upset, and she's like, this is Kathy, right? Like, this is not, you know some sort of pushover type person. This is Kathy. And she, she says in there, like our boys didn't make fire. And so we didn't make fire. And, and, and my wife's like, Oh, so making fire is like a gender specific thing. Like why didn't Kathy keep trying to make the fire? Yeah. I think it's just one of those that Lex and Colby are so obviously the dominant people running that tribe that no one wants to get in their way. I think right. it's just one of those Lex yeah. again, Lex is always the leader or the type a, no matter where he is. That's right. Just how it goes. And that's what I said. I was like, I think that, you know, once Lex and Colby decide on something, they're just, you know, no one wants to rock the boat. You know, yeah. again, it, it's, it's the whole thing, with the shelter stuff that's, that's in a later episode. It's like people aren't going to rock the boat, even if something's not necessarily a, a good idea. And Kathy's not rocking the boat, but it was just, she's just like, our boys didn't make the fire. And it's like, Y- you can make the fire. <laughs> uh, let's not gloss over the great quote in there from Richard about rice and fire. Do he it. says, uh, yeah, rice, water, fire. This is all extraneous crap to me. That's not Survivor. He goes, the game, it's all interpersonal stuff. All that other stuff is outside the game. Uh, it's, so, it's so true, though. It like, is. It's so true. No one was saying that ever in Survivor, and still no one... I mean, the fan base kind of says that now, but no one said this back in the early days of Survivor, where Richard's like... This is all great, this TV crap, but like Survivor is just everyone being interpersonal with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and Richard said some fun stuff like, you know, they're talking about the water stuff and he's just like, oh, yeah, they're all, they're all, they're all thirsty and hungry and stuff like that. I'm not. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little bye-byes. Bye-bye. Ugh. 
All right, we're up to the immunity challenge here. I'm just realizing nothing happens in this episode. Now I'm looking at my notes. Yeah. <laughs> well, this challenge is a nice flashback to Gabriel Cade, so I'm sure you I, Oh, my that. God! I totally have that written in my notes. I have the Gabriel Cade Memorial Challenge, and I was just Aww. like, Mario, would you like to, you know, eulogize? I mean, You guys. Aww. I mean, Gabriel would be so excited if he were still alive. <laughs> yes. This is the Gabriel Cade Memorial Challenge, where he single-handedly won it for a row two in Marquesas. But now you can see when everyday humans try to do it, it takes much more work to get the weight out of the boat underwater. It's funny. There's a lot of things that go on. Because okay, so the challenge is for those of you who are following at home or, or you know aren't as you know obsessed with Gabriel Cade as Mario is, is that they. Yeah, I know. Blast me, right? They're starting out in the in the middle of the water, and then some feet down on the bottom is a boat, and the boat is weighed down by, you know, in Marquesas it was rocks, and this one it's kind of like these boxes or crates or whatever. And so they need to dive down and get the crates out of the boat so that the boat goes to the surface, and then they need to bail the boat out of water and then paddle it to shore. That's the challenge, right? So what's funny is that, you know, Mogo Mogo has Kathy, and Shapira has Rob Mariano, and they do the challenge correctly, and Saboga has nobody from Marquesas, and they do the, the, the challenge incorrectly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting because Saboga loses because they finished the, the first part of the challenge first. Yep. Had they if had Shapiro or Mogamoga finished before them, Saboga could come up and seem like, oh, I can just tip the boat over and haul it up onto the shore. And as a result, like because they were ahead in the first part, they lost ultimately, which is always a really interesting facet of the challenge that you encounter by having people play the same challenges over and over again you saw some other good stuff as well and it shows you kind of what the work that that especially rupert and ethan do in the first part of the challenge getting the weight out because saboga's boat comes up first right but you see in shapira rob mariano taking that gabriel cade strategy of they got a couple of the things out of the boat and then he and tom went down and like pushed the you know push the boat onto its side to get some of the, the weight out that way, which is a faster way to get some of the weight out of the boat and get it tipped up anyway. So like Rob was using Gabe's strategies and yet at the same time, Saboga still got their boat up first. Yeah. But then, yeah, they, then they were a hot mess. Yeah. Then they don't, they blame Ethan because he gets all hyper and frantic and sank the boat at the end or something. And they, and they, they lose a bucket. They lose a paddle. Ethan apparently like jumps on the back. I, I love the image at the end of the challenge though of like, Shapira's completely upright paddling, and then you look at Mogo Mogo and Saboga, and they're bas- <laughs> their boats are basically just sunk, and they're just like, it's like something out of like Pirates of the Caribbean, where they're like paddling these sunken boats to the shore. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, so that, that's how it went, was that Saboga's boat comes up first. They're actually trying to bail the boat, like, with buckets and shit, you know, and it, it's, it's not doing anything, right? And then, you know, Shapira gets their boat up second, and they do the, the, the smart thing, like they do, like they showed in Marquesas, where they turn the boat upside down to get all the water out, then flip it over, and then they start paddling to shore. And, like, their boat is completely above water, you know, but they, they spaced it out. Like, the problem with Mogo Mogo is Mogo Mogo got their boat up, they tip it over like normal, but then they, like, get in the boat, and then they have Richard, like, get in the very back of the boat. And <laughs> it's like, one in the back. Yeah, it's like Richard <laughs> is, like, significantly bigger than everybody else in that tribe, and so the boat, like, tips down, so then the boat starts filling up with water, and it's like, Richard has to go in the middle, you know? like yeah. They put yeah. Tom in the middle on Shapira. They put Tom perfect. in the they put Tom in the middle on Shapira. Like they just played that way smarter, 
You know, like it's how it was. And then Saboga, of course, was just a hot mess. And then, you know, things are going. I love the the little image of like Ethan, like diving into the water, like to get the paddle where he's like yeah. frantically diving in with it. You know, that that mop head just kind of, you know, diving in the water to get the paddle. But poor Shapira, they they just they just didn't have it. Saboga. Sorry, Saboga. Yeah, yeah they didn't have Shapira. It. I was going to say, I'm not really a big Boston Rob fan, but if you like Boston Rob, this is one of his great badass moments, getting to the finish line and saying, say it, Jeff Shapira. So it's, just, yeah. it's a great Boston Rob moment. And, and, Alicia, and, and Alicia, like, pointing in the man, like, yeah, that's right. Bring it over here. <laughs> they were, I know, had, you know, you got to give it, give them credit. They were a badass tribe. They're oh, kicking yeah. ass. They just, they, I mean, they, they won that one by a country mile. Yeah. And second place gets second place. <laughs> Very good. Mogo Mogo, exactly. I was going <laughs> to make a place, joke about that. Place. Yeah, They got second place more than any other tribe in Survivor history, I bet. Oh, my God. It's well, just... I guess technically except for, like, Mata Amu. <laughs> 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 yeah, Oolong, I guess, would technically be yeah. the most second places. O- Oolong, second place. But that was a bad second. <laughs> yeah. uh, All right, so, yeah, so uh, Saboga loses again. They're going to tribal council. And this is really the death march of Rudy here, which is... It should have been a sadder moment than it was, but they didn't really build it up as much as they could have. Like, if you remember, like when astronaut Dan was voted out in Panama, what a big send off he got. Yeah, that that's was... kind of what they should have done with Rudy. They didn't. Really, they kind of half hearted it. I thought. Though Rupert does have a nice hashtag survivor breakdown in his confessional. <laughs> he does. Is that before or after he catches a fish slash pokes it with a stick slash catches a fish slash kisses it? Kisses it. Yes. I do want to take a moment just really quickly to just talk about the badassness of Rudy, not just the nom stories and, you know, the, the answer earlier to how many people has, has, has Rudy killed. Let's just go with lots. Yeah. 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 At people, least. I don't know if people realize what a big, significant military figure he was. He's not just some guy. This is like the king of the Navy SEALs. Yeah. Like Rudy's, Rudy's, Rudy's awesome. And the, and the thing that, the thing is, is that Modern Survivor, not only did we talk earlier about how it skews young, especially to young women, pageant winners and all that sort of stuff. They just skew young in general. Like they, they don't do a lot of like thir- mid-30s people because mid-30s people usually have their stuff the most together. But like, you know, nowadays it's like we have a geriatric on our tribe. They are 46. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, or, you know, we have an old person on our tribe. Like, they have to be, like, 51 or something like that. And it's like, obviously, you know, Tina's a little older, you know, in Blood versus Water and stuff like that. But it's like, they just don't go out of their way and cast older people before. And you have to remember, Rudy was 72 when he did Survivor Borneo. And he's yep. 75 here in Survivor All-Stars. And, yep. yeah, he was a step slower this time. It, it's, it's definitely there. But he was still out there competing. Yep. Well, again, you picture it like Roger Bingham in Australia. He was like in his 50s, right? 52 or something? Yeah. Rudy was 20 years older than that. And Rudy's a better swimmer. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's not fair. Roger didn't really swim well, and Rudy's a flippin' Navy SEAL. But, like, yeah. you know, Rudy is physically doing this stuff, you know, with these people and, and stuff like that. I mean, let, let's all sit here and think that Rudy... The, the fun old Rudy, like he's 75 and he's out there doing that stuff. Yeah. And again, it, and it wasn't even just that he was like a, a badass, but he was really funny. He was a great character. And again, yeah, he wasn't a great player, but like who cares about great players? Character and like uh, charisma and how much the audience likes watching them on TV is so much more important than great player. So I just, Rudy's just one of those great guys and this is kind of a sad ending to him. And it's, it's even sadder knowing that, I mean, I don't know when people are going to listen to this podcast, but Rudy is now in his 80s, and I've heard not doing well. So, you know, Rudy might not be with us that much longer. Depending on when you listen to this, he may have died. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. But, like, this was this was kind of a sad ending to 
one of the most important and uh, loved characters in Survivor history. So it's it's again like you lose Tina, then you lose Rudy in the next episode. That's that's a big hit in Survivor history. Players you're losing already. Yeah. I mean, Ru- Rudy doesn't didn't win Survivor Borneo, so it's not like he, you know is is a winner. But I mean, Rudy, you know, if for all intents and purposes, was Survivor Borneo for the longest times. So, like yeah. he and Richard, they're the two. You know, you talked about you know how you got to bring Sue back for Snakes and Rats and stuff like that. But it's like if you put a cap on it and said you can only bring two people back per season, you bring back Richard and you bring back Rudy. Like they are the first two. And, you know, of the inaugural season, Rudy was the good guy of the inaugural season. We loved Rudy. And, you know, he's a no-brainer to bring back for this All-Stars. You bring Rudy back. And and he just, you know, it it was almost like a mercy killing that Saboga did. You know, and I'm not even really want to talk about it. I mean, Rupert has this whole existential thing that we all cared about at the time because we care about Rupert. But, you know, he's just like... I made an alliance with Rudy and he's going to get voted out and I'm not going to vote for him. It's like, yeah, well done, Rupert. You can throw away your vote. That's fine. And everyone's good about it. But I mean, I don't think that everyone on Saboga felt very good about it. But, you know, it was just something that they had to do. Like Rudy was struggling. He was hurt. He wasn't keeping up because he didn't, you know, he was drinking the water. And I think he was, you know, fine in that sense. But it's like the lack of food and whatnot was really just getting to him. Yeah, and I got to say, the person you see crying the most over Rudy is actually isn't Rupert; it's Jerry. Yeah, yeah. and again, it's I have to bring up again that Jerry got such a raw deal with her edit and the reaction to her in Australia, and it's just really—I just—I don't even know the right word. It's very poignant to see her crying over one of the most beloved characters getting mercy killed, and like Jerry of all people is the one they show crying about it because she really is a good-hearted, nice person. So. It's just, I mean, it's just weird knowing Survivor history, seeing all these wonderful Jerry moments in the season where she's very, very, per, I mean, a very human, humane person. Just it's a normal person who gets broken up about things like any normal person does. It's just, it's interesting for me to watch that. And for once, Jeff's words at, after Tribal Council were actually very, very poignant, actually pretty touching about, it was basically like a eulogy to yeah. Rudy about how much of a hero he was and how his age was such an inspiration. It was actually really nice to hear because as and as we'll see with episode three as well, the Survivor All Stars has a nice way in these first episodes of touching upon these really emotional moments. And I think they, they did a really Jeff especially actually did a really nice job here of touching upon what a great contestant and what a great person he is. Yeah, it's it, again I, I don't I bash probes any chance I get, but he you're absolutely right. He says, and this is exactly what makes Survivor what it is complicated. And I just, it's a really great moment. He absolutely nails the emotion and the feel of that scene. And it's so, so hilarious to me that two seconds later, Rudy's saying he's going to kill everybody. <laughs> Again, it's such a Rudy thing to do. Great man, wonderful human being, American history. We are really going to miss him. Cut to two seconds later, Rudy's like, I'm going to fucking kill all of you. <laughs> just... I, again, he didn't use those exact words, but he essentially does call for a jihad in his final words. And this is something I wrote about on the Funny 115 that I love that Rudy's like, they just better watch their step for a long time because I got a lot of friends. Do, do, gonna, do, do you want me to do this? I would love for you to do please, this, Jay. Please, please. Uh, okay. Well, I talked to these people about two hours ago and everything was all set up to, to vote Ethan off. And I can see Ethan voting against me, but I, I can't see the other two people voting against me. If I was them, I'd stay clear of me. I got a lot of friends. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> well done. American Perfect. hero threatening death. On da, 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 da. <laughs> I wish there was a flag waving in the background while he was doing that. 
Don't tread on me. As James <laughs> yeah, exactly. would say, that would be the greatest thing ever. <laughs> uh, and of course, this is right after Ru- Ethan casts his vote for Rudy, and he says it's purely strategical. Yeah, thank you for making the fan base dumber, Ethan. Although, he kind of smirks was he said when he says it. I'm not sure if he realizes he said something dumb or if he is doing it to be funny. But You hold again, on to that rainbow, Mario. That he's doing it as a wink to you. No, he wasn't. Yeah. Strategical, again, not a word. Please stop using it. Ethan uses it in the episode very blatantly. He does. And I know you like him, but he just used it because, you know, we use it sometimes. It's, it's what happens. I don't know if you saw Rudy's uh, extended final words on the DVD. Where oh, my God. Yes, I did. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Jay, why don't you go on? How does Rudy feel when they <laughs> told him they weren't going to vote him off and then they did? How does that make him feel? <laughs> I can't. Oh, my God. All right, I'll do uh, it. Uh, well, you know, it makes me feel lousy. Yeah, lousy. <laughs> I, I couldn't think of the word. I was like, you know, he's just like, doesn't, I'm like... It, it isn't good. It was ugh, lousy. That's so good. Well, no one ever lied to him or screwed him over in Borneo. I mean, people say that Richard screwed him, but no, technically he didn't. Rudy, Richard just said he'd never vote for him, and he never did. So this is the first time somebody ever told Rudy, oh, I won't vote for you, and then they vote for him. And so, yeah, he, he, he drops an old man word, lousy. He pulls lousy. this out of 1940. He goes, makes me feel lousy, which we all know lousy is the opposite of swell, in case you need to look that up. <laughs> so, yeah, so we... I wonder if lousy is, you know, a derivative of lousy. Could be. So all the bad people in the 40s were just covered in lice. Covered in lice. It doesn't. It's just, you know, me. It was a dirty time. Uh, Back in Hoovervilles. (laughs) Wow, an Annie reference, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah, so we lose Rudy again. Rudy and Tina at the time were two of the 10 most significant players in Survivor history. And that's, that's a really rough way to start a season, I have to say. And again, we're, we try to go into the history here. What did the fan base think of all this? I mean, it, Mer, again, Rudy was a mercy killing, so it's tough to see it being too broken up about that. But it was just sad to see him kind of reduced to that. Yeah. Rudy was so strong and in Borneo, and like <clears throat> he didn't get voted out for being weak. He got voted out because he would have won. So it was just kind of sad to see this. And again, I know later they brought him back to a reunion, and he was even older and kind of senile, and that was even sadder to watch him. I really wish they wouldn't have done that. It made you think about how old he was. Like... You knew he was old, and every once in a while they'd say his age. You know, like, yeah. oh, he's he's in his seventies. You know, but like, you you never you never thought of his age as something negative. You were just like, you know, oh, he's old, but he's great. You know, and and that sort of stuff. And then you know, when they're saying his age, and you're seeing him stumbling around, you're like, oh yeah, he's seventy five. You know, like it, yep. it it really just kind of made you think along those lines. Yeah, and again, it's just to reiterate that I'm sure Rudy won't be with us too much longer, and it's just. It's a sad moment, and it's, it makes me even sadder when I realize it's not going to be that big a deal in the fan community. And that, that's like, he doesn't have the level of reverence that he did at one time, and that's, that's what kind of bums me out from Survivor history. Like, someday Rudy won't be with us, and they'll be like, oh, well, we lost Rudy. Like, well, that's a big deal. That was, he was arguably the biggest star in the first season. It's him, Richard, or Colleen. I mean, really flip a coin, who was the biggest star? So it's, yeah, it's, I don't know, this is a tough episode to watch, and again, it's, well, it was sad that he left. You can see why he went. He just couldn't hang around anymore. And, and if you liked Rudy, you wouldn't have even wanted to see him around anymore because he was having trouble walking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And then, of course, Rob C. calls him a big phony. <laughs> and then the friends go after Rob C. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if how many of the survivors Rudy's friends have killed. We should, we should look that up. Has anybody Lots. seen Jenna Lewis lately? 
Lots. <laughs> lots. The answer I saw is it. Lots. I saw it in a movie last week. Yeah, I know. I saw it on pay per view. It was a good one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we are through two episodes, which is a fantastic new record for a three hour podcast. We got <laughs> oh <my> two episodes. <laughs> Well, the good news is that we stop right before episode three, and nothing of importance happens in episode three. Nothing, <laughs> nothing Not yeah. at all. We'll I just breeze right through that one. I can't believe that, like, we finally get to All Stars, and we finally get to like talk about Rupert Shelter, and then we talk about for three flipping hours about the first two episodes. Yeah. So I have to wait another one. Well, you know, we're we're having so much fun with All Stars, and it, because you know, it only gets better in episode three because we introduce a new variable that Survivor hasn't had before, which is cancer. That always livens the show up a little. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that will be an interesting one to talk about because yeah, I, I don't I, know how it's going to go. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that this season is going to snowball on itself in the sense that, like, you know, we, we've traditionally been averaging three episodes of the Survivor Historians per season of Survivor. And, you know, with Thailand, the first episode covered, what, the first three episodes and and we managed to get done because Thailand sort of snowballs a- again. And I think that All-Stars also snowballs pretty hard in the sense that we could probably get through some of the later episodes really, really quickly. But, you know, these first few episodes are just so full of stuff. Yeah. And by snowball, he's not referring to a Jenna Lewis video term. Wow. <laughs> oh, man. My imagination is running wild. <laughs> don't 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 Google that, by the way. Is it corrupted is- me? Message to the kids at home. Don't Google that. All right, so, yeah, I mean, we were leaving off right before the Jenna Maraska episode, and... Uh, yeah, I, we got a lot to talk about there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was hoping we could get through the first four episodes. Again, it's, it's hard to say that Survivor All-Stars is fun for four episodes, considering you have the Jenna's mom dying episode in there, but it's really, it feels like Survivor for four episodes, even though the Jenna thing, I mean, it's very emotional. People have strong reactions to that. People, some people love it, some people hate it. It feels like Survivor for four episodes, and then it starts going downhill real fast. And that's 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 when I really don't like it. That's when a lot of people really don't like it. Yeah, but it, it, it'll be good to get to another one because we'll have some time to talk about episode three. Because episode three of Survivor All-Stars, I mean, I, I guess if I'm submitting an episode for just further review of, you know, greater episodes, I think s- episode three has got to be it. I mean, it's got the downer with Jenna and whatnot, but I mean, just it's got it's got the shelter building. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. oh, God. and it has shark attack, which is also it has shark attack and, shel- and shelter building, which is just fantastic all the way through just delicious television there delicious. and then you yeah and then if, and then and then episode four is is got fun stuff too it has tom getting a concussion so you know absolutely yeah and rob c going home which is always brings the i mean livens up the crowd everyone loves that episode yeah rob, uh, the last roll in <laughs> yeah. the, the 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 greatest ever rob c going home yeah we all want that exactly yeah it's just we got a lot of roughness to go through here um what was I going to say? I don't think I have anything else. I think that's it. Okay. Well, good good thing, folks. Thanks for listening to a podcast that took longer time talking about the two episodes than than the episodes aired. <laughs> but uh, we, we did have some other things as well. And I, I got to say, All-Stars so far having fun. Absolutely. I love it so far. I'm absolutely shocked that I am loving the season through two episodes. And again, don't get used to that. <laughs> so enjoy it while you can. Exactly, until we record the next episode in nine months. Another baby. We'll have another an- <laughs> another baby, and you'll be like, oh, what a, what a unique podcast. All right, let's talk to the temp here. How do you think your first podcast went? 
I I think it went pretty well. Don't speak to me directly. Well. Yeah, you know, we could have hired Kristen. I'm just warning you. We can still hire her. Oh, boy. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, jeez, Margie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, you guys. Jeez. No, I think you did a good job. I, I'm, thank you for stopping by and helping us out. Thanks. As I'm choking to death. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to come on. And I just also want to thank all the uh, smatterings of support I've gotten on the internet and on Facebook after the <laughs> interviews. Smatterings. Yeah. I mean, you, your Facebook friend list is going to skyrocket now with our tens of listeners. I mean, you're just going to have at least four or five new friend requests tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. I will have a casket of life experiences then. <laughs> and you know what? I'm ready to go out with those. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Whenever he kicks the bucket. <laughs> and I'm not scared of the dark, sister. <laughs> so you can right. nail some nails in the dark, Ben. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, okay, I'll just say one little teaser for next episode. What's his name? Rafa, the guy who does the test the shelters for stuff? Yes. Mm-hmm. How did I not write a funny 115 entry about him? It kills me. I don't even know what I was thinking. So uh, that's but, your spoiler right now. I was cr- I was dying when I was watching him yesterday. I was just going to make an Eric the Tree Sprite joke, but that's 2.0, not 1.0. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I mean, I'm expecting the temp to make a stupid comment like that. I, just, I, I would make a, I'm, I was going to make a Colby's hat. A Colby's it. hats joke. I was going to say that that's a close second. All right. Someone disconnect Mike's microphone. I'm, <laughs> fucking, I'm fucking annoyed by him. <laughs> yes, oh. right, right. I'll con- disconnect my own microphone now. Yeah, right, ra- thank you. The, ra- I mean that whole thing, like the whole. Sh- I mean, d- yeah. I mean, yeah. Rafa himself is. I mean, it's it's all just good. That shelter building, like you know, everyone's just like, oh, Rupert builds a bad shelter, but it's like it's the whole scene. Even <laughs> Mogo Mogo and like Shapira <laughs> add to the scene, and then Rafa comes and just starts like <laughs> kicking crap. It's so good. <laughs> they I put him it. on a swing. The Shapira. Yeah, <laughs> and he's he's so terrified. Like he's, he's just like. Anything, but any yeah, any scene where they end up people saying we, you know, will end up well. Or when Lex speaks broken Spanish to him. <laughs> yes. Mi casa, su casa. He's just like, wow, gringo, awesome. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, you know, okay. well, you know how George Hans wrote in a bunch of jokes for me to use in the podcast. One of my favorite ones he used for that scene, he said, you know, Rafa comes to Saboga Shelter and Rupert's like, everything that was loose, he tugged on. And George is like, well, except for Jenna, he didn't tug on Jenna. <laughs> oh. oh the Jenna Lewis jokes are going to be fun on this oh boy alright I think that's it we've gone over three hours we've uh, officially ruined all our bandwidth here yep but you know it, it, it was a good hurt and it was good to be back in the saddle I have to say I mean I've just been sitting here going like let's talk Survivor and we, and we did and it was great yeah I, I was worried how much preamble we'd have to talk about with All-Stars because there was a ton to get out of the way. You have to talk about the history and the casting. So once we got through that and we get into the episodes, it's good. And I'm looking forward to uh, having the awesomely fun Cancer and Rob Sesternino legacy-destroying episodes coming up. Not to mention the Richard Hatch penis episode and Lex getting killed on TV. You know a well, season's good when you have episodes titled the Cancer episode and the penis episode. <laughs> yes. No, exactly. are they are they like friends episodes like the yeah. one with the cancer the one with the penis yes the one with rafa the one, the one with, with rafa the, the one with the pouting tattooed man yes all right so we will get to the cancer one and the one with richard's penis uh whenever we record hopefully next week i don't know when it's going to be but we'll get around to it much faster i promise all right that's it anything else i think we just need to go now all right mm-hmm. All right, as as always. No, Temp, listen, I have a little thing I have to say, okay? God! God damn it, Temp! What? (laughs) 
I'll go and crawl in my hole now. All right. As always, this is Mario Lanza. This is Jay Fisher. And for the first time, this is Mike Bloom. And maybe the last time, depending on the feedback. Ah, uh, jeez. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. We, we got to keep the self-esteem low. Standard ploy here. All right. Yeah, thank you for listening to Survivor Historians. And uh, we apologize for the delay, but we're back in the saddle now. And we'll be talking to you guys soon. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. Ready? <laughs> what do I look like? Okay. Going? <laughs>